program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. You maniacs! What is a man? When we are successful, we will be. We had a real chance with this. Okay, yes. We are bored. We're all bored now. But has it ever occurred to you, Wally, that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating, unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money, and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks? And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that somebody who's bored is asleep, and somebody who's asleep will not say no? See, I keep meeting these people. I mean, uh, just a few days ago, I met this man whom I greatly admire. He's a Swedish physicist, Gustav Bjornstrand. And he told me that he no longer watches television, he doesn't read newspapers, and he doesn't read magazines. He's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of Orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot. And when I was at Findhorn, I met this extraordinary English tree expert, who had devoted his life to saving trees. Just got back from Washington, lobbying to save the Redwoods. He's 84 years old. He always travels with a backpack because he never knows where he's going to be tomorrow. And when I met him at Findhorn, he said to me, where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York. Yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? I gave him different banal theories. He said, oh, I don't think it's that way at all. He said, I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made or to even see it as a prison. And then he went into his pocket and he took out a seed for a tree and he said, this is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. See, actually for two or three years now, Chiquita and I have had this very unpleasant feeling that we really should get out. And we really should feel like Jews in Germany in the late 30s. Get out of here. Of course, the problem is where to go because it seems quite obvious that the whole world is going in the same direction. See, I think it's quite possible that the 1960s represented the last burst of the human being before he was extinguished. And that this is the beginning of the rest of the future now. And that from now on, there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing. And there'll be nobody left almost to remind them that there once was a species called a human being.
with feelings and thoughts, and that history and memory are right now being erased, and soon nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet. Feeling nothing and thinking nothing. It's episode 80 of Behind the Schemes for January 17th, 2022, and I am Booberry Black Knight of the Mothman. And all the way from way the hell over here on the bereft coast where I'm anxiously waiting for my dinner with Andre the Giant. I am lavish. How you doing? How's the bereft coast treating you? It's a strange, sad place right now, man. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I, I went out today and I I went to just like hit a happy hour and get a sandwich and a, and a glass of a uh, glass of beer. And the whole experience was like just what this guy was talking about. Just this strange, sad situation where everybody was their own prisoner. Everybody was wearing a mask except me. I was outside, out in the open, by myself, with no mask, and everybody had a mask on. It was fucking very, very (laughs) sad. (laughs) That is very sad. And I felt like an (laughs) asshole. That's that's the that's the saddest mechanism of the whole thing. It's oh, my man. fault. That's how those schemes are designed. You can't let them get to you like that. I know, I know. That's why we're here. We're trying to get behind the schemes. That's exactly why we're here. So we got a a, a ter- Oh, I should say real quick. I haven't seen this movie, but that clip, uh, the opening clip, was from a movie called My Dinner with Andre, which I'm not. I've only seen this clip. I'm very curious about this movie. I want to go check it out. It's an all-time film. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but nice. it's it's a classic and you'll you'll watch the movie and you'll pick up some things I think it, that you'll be like, "Oh, I didn't know that was from this movie." Well, wow, interesting. Um the other guy who's in it is the guy who was in Princess Bride, the uh inconceivable guy. Yep. Yep. And uh that's who he's yeah. talking to in this scene actually. Yeah, the, most of the movie is just the two of them just basically chatting at a dinner that they're having at the guy's apartment. <laughs> it's a really cool philosophical delve. Go check it out. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's going on the list. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so we have an official BTS watch list for when we allegedly legend has it in Minecraft, uh, start doing movie nights on the internet. Yes. In Minecraft, in Minecraft, of course, that's right. With a Minecraft projection screen. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, we have a tarot card for tonight that we've drawn. It's, uh, as always, comes from the Line Strider deck, and we'll, we'll be reading from tarotx.net. Tonight's card is the Two of Cups Reversed. Two of Cups Reversed. I can hit you with some uh, key words here. Collaboration, happiness, romance, business partners, friendship, mutual understanding. Beautiful. Yeah. Unity, um, connection, joining sort of a thing. Um, reversed. I think it means more like an imbalance or tension or, um, yeah. Two cups, the cups meaning, uh, emotion and two meaning pair or, or duality or a choice. Um, something, something of that manner. Something binary, either this or that. This or that, and the act of making the choice itself and and having it play a part on on a journey that you're going on, and so if it's reversed, maybe that choice is being you know uh hesitated upon 
etc. There are a lot of fun ways to interpret the Two of Cups. Uh, in general, uh, when it comes to the reverse meaning, this card shows that things are likely to go well. However, be careful not to cause problems or troubles in your friendship simply by paying too much attention to your love life. Mm. Interesting. Ooh, love life. You get the cups in there. Right, which is emotion. And you got two of them. So that's that's what the lovers are, right? It's kind of a, This card is kind of a form of the lovers. Yeah, a different iteration of it. Mm. You find in the tarot deck, there are a lot of cards that kind of replicate one another, especially when it comes to the um, the major arcana, or I guess is what you'd call them, right? Or the, the, the actual characters themselves, other than the, the pip cards. Yes, that would be the major arcana. Yeah. Yeah. I got, yeah, I got a... Parting shot for the Two of Cups. Uh, the Two of Cups line strider talks about a good beginning of a new relationship in which you will experience understanding, harmony, and real love. This card often refers to reconciliation and new opportunities to bond, repair, and strengthen existing relationships. Hmm. That's a good thing. I and agree. The reverse could be just overcoming an obstacle to get to that point. All right. If you would like to check out that tarot card, the Two of Cups, it's posted at the top of our show notes, zososcorner.substack.com. That is z-o-s-o-s-corner.substack.com. Do us a favor. You can subscribe to that and our show notes every week with everything that we're going to talk about, including a bunch of, uh, this one's chock full of pictures and we got some sweet gift show art this time around. Uh, all of that will be sent directly to your inbox. So, uh, you know, why not have something sexy to stare at in your junk mail? Yeah, stare at your <laughs> junk and stare at some nice cups. I'm oh, sorry. I'm uh, just now mixing up my images. Oh, you're good. And uh, usually this is the part of the show that we're going that we would go into our producer segment. But I think we're going to change it up a little bit and um, thank our producers after intermission tonight. So it's a it's a little a little shake up a little different, but um, if you're listening to this in the after we uh, post the show, head over to irc.zerono.net hashtag green room, and you can find all of the cool ass freaks of hazards to help produce this show, which is a value for value production. Yeah, if you listen to the show and you want to get into what we're talking about, we would highly recommend checking out the show notes. Uh, everything we talk about is referenced. They got fun images. It looks beautiful. It's uh, got pretty colors. Uh, and all of the producers, the Freaks of Hazards, uh, everybody who's contributed to the show is credited there as well. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, it's also a corner. It's a good time. Good time all around. And uh, that publication, I know that you can um, monetize those uh, those essays or newsletters, whatever you want to call them. But um, mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the ethos of uh, value for value, we will never charge anything for any content on that publication, just the same as this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. V for V, baby. Yep. That's uh, that's what keeps us ad-free and, and on the straight and narrow. And um, if you want to get... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Hell yeah. But uh, if you want to get on, on some fun, kick-ass podcasting 2.0, uh, head over to newpodcastapps.com. 
check out one of those new podcasting apps and boost your favorite podcaster. Boost me, bitch. Boost me. Oh, yes. Boost me. Do a commercial. You're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore. And uh, end of story. We told you who was behind the schemes, but you'll never know who's behind the screens. Call our creep phone now and leave a screen mail. We'll play it on the show. 612263 Sexy. 612263SXXY. That's 612263799. Gotta have those sexy numbers in there. Mm, so sexy they're running a porn site on our fucking show <laughs> look at me look at me i'm the porn site now i am the porn now <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's you- right we have a phone number and we have a screen mail voicemail line where you can leave us a voicemail at what number mr booberry that number would be 612 263 7999 mm, sexy and we already have a couple a uh, couple in the inbox let's uh, let's hit two of them There is something spooky going around here. Now that is a <laughs> top tier triple A fine <laughs> scream, sir. Had me on the edge of my seat. Hell yeah. It was terrifying. So ethereal. Yes. Yes, this shadow person is indeed having fun, Tunta. <laughs> oh, we, <Yes. laughs> we have another one here. Um, actually, it's very normal for athletes who, you know, stress their cardiac system to go into cardiac arrest. The very system is proven to be flawed and has been discredited by scientific consensus. Furthermore, I'm a science communicator. <laughs> <laughs> that was science related. Did you know that? That was a very sciencey uh, voicemail. Thank you, science. Sponsored by Pfizer. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's totally yeah. perfectly normal, everybody. <laughs> perfectly normal go back to playing pokemon go we will oh. alert you when there is a real problem okay if it were a problem they would be talking about it obviously and people would be talking about it <laughs> hell yeah all right let's uh i suppose it's about time to roll that dice we're 15 minutes in and get into our content you son of a bitch I like it. Let's do a let's do a D twenty. Let's go for the highest. Highest on a D twenty roll, bro. Oh shit. Yeah. Here we go, Doug. Good old fashioned. Oh. Damn. Oh yeah. Oh damn. Oh my goodness. What you got? 
They get a critical success, a 20. Oh, shit. I couldn't beat it. I was I was trying real hard. I, I came in. I came in. Came in strong with my seventeen, but it wasn't seventeen. Uh we're we're both high rolling tonight though. <laughs> Twas not enough. Hey man, it's a full moon and we're both high rolling, and that's all that matters. Hell yeah. We're both winners. Uh I I got some I got some interesting things tonight. I I had uh well there's there's just some topical stuff going on, you know, there's the the volcano eruption. Mhm. Mhm. Quite spectacular in its footage. Really really fun. If you go to the show notes and I can uh put up a few in the chat room while I'm here. But this thing was big and they talked about it a little bit on Hug Story, which happens just before the show, it was by John Fletcher, Carolyn Blaney, and they mentioned it a little bit. I have some uh gifts or as the wrong people say, GIFs, and I will post them as such in the chat. This thing was pretty big, and I actually have a picture as well in the notes of uh, the the explosion sort of superimposed over Europe. It's kind of over France. Oh wow! Just to show how like how big it is in comparison. And from what I'm seeing, this thing is basically covering half of France. Um, if it was given that same old, same old thing. Uh, oh my God. (laughs) It's, they're very startling images. They're a lot of fun. Um, and the reason why it's news to me really in my neck of the woods is because where I live here on the bereft coast, we were all on tsunami watch, uh, which was very exciting. Something kind of shook everything up. That wasn't all about you-know-what. Um, and uh, we even got a little bit of flooding in Santa Cruz, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Uh, I know. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, I have a picture of that as well. Uh, they got about, oh, I would say, oh, you know, three feet up, two feet up. Um, we've got a little bit of the news talking about it, if you'd like to play uh, Tsunami 1. We're still following that massive volcanic eruption in the Pacific. The Bay Area, along with the rest of the West Coast, is under a tsunami advisory right now as we continue to see strong currents and dangerous waves along the coast. It all started with this. Take a look at these pictures from space of that massive eruption Friday night on Tonga's biggest island. A huge eruption, a plume of ash, steam and gas rising into the sky. Set flooding to the South Pacific country's capital city, businesses, homes, places of work inundated by rushing water and we're still waiting for word on any injuries wow mm, mm-hmm. yeah and according to uh, sir bemrose in the chat tsunami also visited uh him up in the pacific northwest and the wave height was up to eight and a half feet eight and a half inches or eight and a half feet um, i guess it's i mean i know that that's inches but i guess eight and a half inches the height was up eight and a half inches so that's not too bad. At first, when I read that, I was like eight and a half feet. I was like, "Oh shit, that's 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 terrible. It's, it's awful. <laughs> that's a fucking tsunami wave." <laughs> yeah, that means that uh, a, a good portion of downtown Seattle is underwater right now. Oh no! Damn it! <laughs> oh no! That sucks. Oh man. Anyway, uh, these pictures are so funny. 
And of course, this is at a marina that shows this. So the water's coming up over the over the dock. So this is the the closest possible point to sea level. Uh, if you could please hit tsunami two. The country is more than five thousand miles away from us here in the Bay Area, but the impact triggered flood warnings and high waves along the coast, and we are not alone. Take a look at this: pretty much the entire West Coast still under that tsunami advisory right now. And you can see why. Looking at a flooding like this at the Santa Cruz Harbor. This video posted to Twitter by a viewer. This was about 9 o'clock this morning as the water started to make its way into that parking lot. Kind of an eerie feeling. It became an unfortunate situation for people whose cars were parked there. This video shows a truck partially submerged. Rising waters pushing boats all over the place, even forcing people to scramble to safety from those boats. And the situation causing a big weekend headache for emergency crews at the harbor, mm-hmm. trying all day to make sure everyone stays away. But many say they had to come see for themselves what's going on. Uh, just a lot of the current changing, that the water's flowing out for a couple minutes and then coming back in. It's just about a five to six foot swing in the tide. It's pretty, uh, pretty significant. Many people we spoke with say they're grateful this wasn't a repeat of the 2011 tsunami that hit the Santa Cruz area after that earthquake back in Japan. Uh, that caused Fukushima. tens of thousands of dollars in damage to the harbor. Yeah, if anybody remembers Fukushima, mm. which was the, uh, the the real nasty thing about that, other than it being a massive earthquake, was that it, it cracked open a, a nuclear power plant which then started spilling radioactive waste into the Pacific Ocean at breakneck speeds. And then, uh, you know, maybe it was too heavy to be carried across. Maybe it went straight down. I don't know. I don't know what the de- I don't know. I'm, I'm not a... I'm not Jesus. A, but, uh, a huge plume of ash, gas, and steam was spewed upwards of 12.4 miles into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Holy Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's uh only about forty miles north of uh Tonga Tapu, which is the country's main island. So it's pretty damn close to a lot of stuff, a lot of um heavily populated areas, which I imagine are pretty devastated right now for a variety of reasons. Um but it is so far the largest volcanic eruption of the twenty first century. So far, it's 2022, so we have another 78 years, but, um, you know, it could happen. I mean, it's uh, uh, just north, uh, just northwest of New Zealand. I wasn't quite yeah. sure what Tonga was. It affects, so the tsunami warnings were issued to Fiji, Samoa, a bunch of, uh, all of those little Pacific countries that are around there, and then New Zealand, Australia, Japan, Russia. U.S., Canada, Mexico, Chile, and Ecuador. All those places kind of got rocked in in a way. But, yeah, apparently two people drowned in Peru when a a a six-and-a-half-foot wave struck that coast. And I guess a couple fishermen somewhere down south, I think maybe in Santa Barbara or something, they got injured or something from a wave. But other than that, that's all that's really going on. So... We can be thankful, man, because volcanic eruptions are no joke. Yeah, like in the Jew Pompeii, get flash frozen in time. Yeah. <laughs> you get flash frozen 
hugging another dude, and then they're going to come along and be like, I think these guys are homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> or you could be at home, minding your own business, jerking it with some <laughs> olive oil, and then it erupts, and then you'll be like, God, I hope people don't know that I was jerking it right now, 2,000 years from now. And they put me in a museum. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It's, uh, These- <laughs> just keep that keep that imagery in mind. We're going to need it a little later for this episode. Funny enough. During intermission, I will find that. I'll, I'll find a couple of Pompeii statues. I'll definitely find the jerking off guy. Because <laughs> that guy most definitely exists. For real. Um, yeah. You know what I played? Pink Floyd's Pompeii. I played Echoes yesterday when we were jamming. We, me and Booberry were were on the stream last night around. Uh, oh, you know, just in the evening messing around. And at one point, I did play that. So nice. I think I think that's my homage to it in a in a weird way. But I, there's not a lot of information that I could find. I mean, I'm sure that there's if I really look for it, I could find it. But on on the surface in America, there's not a lot of news about the actual people there and what they're going through. So I might look into that. I might see what, you know, what Tonga is going through as opposed to what Santa Cruz is going through. Who cares about Santa Cruz? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can see the actual physical shockwave in these gifts that you dropped earlier. It's, that is no joke. No. Volcano eruptions can harm a lot of people very fast yeah. kill a lot of people very fast and there there are records in history of earthquakes being so low, like uh what's the famous one krakatoa i'm trying i'm pronouncing that wrong but it's krakatoa or something that sounds right krakatoa and they have that was in 1883 the eruption of krakatoa and that like deafened people all over the world <laughs> it was so loud <laughs> Like people's like eardrums blew out of their ears. Uh, it was it, that shit's scary, man. Way worse than I don't know, not worse, but just as bad as anything else out there, I suppose. Do uh, you want to hit this uh, third clip? Yeah. Now we're going to return to meteorologist Rob Maeda. He has been tracking the tsunami advisory all day, and Rob. Where are we at right now? Right now, well, we're still watching what was an undersea volcanic eruption displacing a lot of ocean water. We saw this late last night, and instead of really being an earthquake-generated event, you had that undersea volcanic eruption, which displaced the ocean water as that energy travels across the Pacific, gets closer to the coast, it slows down, and that uh, water level starts to rise up. And we did see peak water levels around Crescent City and Port San Luis, just southwest of uh, San Luis Obispo, of three to four feet. Now, closer to home, Bay Area-wise, around Point Reyes and Monterey, about two to three foot rises in water level. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually been to, been to San Luis Obispo once. Yeah. Did you tour there? Mm-hmm. And played the college there. Oh, yes. You, you were at uh, UC. <laughs> UC. Uh, oh, God. Maybe you see Santa Barbara. You see, you see, you see slow. You were at slow. Yeah, it wasn't. A, I don't think it was a big college. It was a kind of a smaller one. Oh, okay. They got a couple pretty popular colleges down there. Big party scenes, you know, mm. some uh, football and things like that. All right, I got gotcha. you. As far as California is concerned, I know that 
you know, football is very important, much more important in other parts of the country, but there it's, uh, it's pretty important too. So anyway, that's my report on the largest volcano uh, of the century so far. I'll be damned if I don't report on it. Uh, also, also, I found uh, some interesting information about, I guess, I guess it's becoming news now, but I, I found it about this like a week ago that these trains in LA are getting hit super hard. Yeah. Uh, these, these him, him, Amazon. Tell me about this. I, I guess I, I wasn't really paying attention to what's happening. Have you heard about this uh, elsewhere? Only on no agenda. They were just, yeah, they were just talking about it on no agenda. And, um, I feel like I saw this on NAS somewhere like a, a week ago. Somebody was smart enough to like actually check the the CCTV footage or whatever, you know, the cameras that they got, which are open to the public. And you can see for yourself, I mean, now they're sending camera crews down there, news crews to check it out. But you can see for yourself that those train lines are just littered, just stacked with empty boxes and garbage and debris, all of these these major rail lines that run out of East LA, and to and to kind of back up a little bit, Los Angeles is a major major port and a major, um, I guess, gate for all of this cargo that's coming in from the Pacific side. It goes to LA and then is parceled out and then shipped all over the country, mm-hmm. uh, mostly on trains. And so the, the, the rail line basically from LA to Chicago is one of the major, major arteries oh of the country. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm looking at your pictures in the notes. Yeah. I've got some pictures in the notes. You can see for yourself. There are uh, just tons and tons and tons. Uh, let's play a clip and, uh, and get associated with it here. I think it's LA uh, BBC. If you live in Los Angeles and your package hasn't been delivered, you might want to check the rail line in the east of the city. Freight trains passing through this area have become an easy target for thieves who leave evidence of their raids all over the tracks. As trains head into a busy junction, they often slow down or stop, and looters are ready. They jump on these trains, these, these locks that these containers have are really, sometimes they're plastic seals. You know, the, the locks aren't really sturdy, strong, you know. Um, they, don't, they don't care if the train's moving or not. They jump on the trains, pop the lock, and just start grabbing whatever they see. All of this has accumulated over the last month alone. Looters aim for the most valuable items they can find, ripping through packages and avoiding cheaper bulk cargo items like toilet roll. Towards the end of last year, more than 90 containers were vandalized every day. Oh, my God. Thefts peaked around Christmas. (laughs) According to the rail operator Union Pacific, over the last year, looting along the train line in Los Angeles County has risen by 160%, costing millions of dollars. Thefts have hit major companies, including Amazon, UPS, and FedEx. The rail operator says it has now increased security along the line. James Reynolds, BBC News. Train getting robbed all night long. Train getting robbed all night all long. All night long. 
<laughs> it's the American way. We've been robbing trains since day one. A one, son. That's, that's what we do. You know what the fucking first movie ever was called? The Great Train Robbery. Oh, so, I love it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it's a very mythical, mythological, uh, mythomagical sort of a thing. You know, it's it's embedded in the American consciousness. We want to rob trains. We love robbing trains. But when it comes to this this artery, this this you know bottleneck out of L.A., you just it's the choicest spot, especially in East L.A., where it's generally poorer. You have West L.A., you have uh, you know Santa Monica, and you have Venice, and you have all the all the areas of L.A. that are along the beach. And then as you go further east, it gets poorer and poorer, and so you you have the cargo leaving L.A. And going through these, you know, very rough parts and um, times are really hard and people are doing what they got to do. And, and they're saying that these locks are made out of plastic. Oh, and there's gross. like, you know, they just got a bunch of cameras out there, but nobody's going to stop them. So they just wear masks like they have to anyway. And they <laughs> wear black and they go out there. We're just following they, the rules. <laughs> they're just fucking, you know, it's, it's picking. It's easy pickings. And you see these pictures and you just see, I mean, it, it must at this point be a full on, like, it reminds me of, uh, if you've ever seen the, anything on the 77 blackouts in New York. Oh, right. Where uh, hip hop was uh, gestated out of. Exactly. Hip hop and punk and new wave and all kinds of, you know, you could say that that day was so important, but, uh, but that just the, the logistics of like the power was out for 24 hours and. For 24 hours, you could do whatever you wanted to do. You could go bust in any store, and you could do whatever you wanted. And especially out in the Bronx, especially out, like, you know, somewhere where there were no cops. Someplace really, really out there. And that's what you're seeing as a culture emerging along these lines in L.A. You, you, it's, it must be just Christmas come early every day. These guys get to go out there. I mean, it's probably not easy or fun, but it's definitely possible and I think that that's that's very telling of our times, you know. I think it's another thing that whatever I don't know you could say presidential administration or whatever whoever's running the show it's like okay you guys aren't doing a good job or <laughs> whatever and it's just another problem with the supply lines as if we don't have enough fucking problems with the supply lines. Is this mic on? I guess anyway. Anyway, I don't the thing. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Jobs are up. You keep saying that jobs are up. It's like, oh yeah, because you open things up again. Sure, thanks. I wonder uh, if they but, have to clear the tracks in order for the trains to operate. I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure the weight of the train would just barrel through, but uh, still, I just. I think they do. At a certain point, they do. Like at the, with the footage that they show. That's only one month's worth. They say that they clean the tracks like once a month. So assuming that that's actually true, the amount of garbage that's there just for one month, that's, um, they have to just be constantly cleaning it up. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't be able to run trains through. It would just be a wall of cardboard. I mean, yeah, it would, I don't know, it would probably slow down the train, fuck it up at a certain point. They got to do it for snow. Right. Yeah. And, you know, cardboard, it can be kind of slippery, I suppose. You can get enough wedged. 
wedged underneath of the train. Yeah, you got. I mean, if you see the pictures, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and it's just like TVs and whatever, whatever you can get. <laughs> you don't even know what's in the box. They just fucking grab boxes and go. That's so psycho. This whole thing has gotten. Yeah, I got uh, reading from your notes. Uh, items range from family portraits, boots, and medications to COVID nineteen rapid tests, swabs, and PPE. Among the pricier items encountered by Nexstar's news station was a box of Humira, an arthritis medication that can cost patients more than six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So you could score with that. You could you could get a bunch of medicine or something. You can sell that, or I mean, if you need it, it'd be it would be a hell of a thing if you needed arthritis medication and you knocked over a train and found a train car full of arthritis medication. I, I wonder if that's actually a realistic scenario but if if you were to knock off a, a a train car and it was full of arthritis medication well then you could hawk all that shit you i suppose i mean you just gotta find a buyer i suppose maybe you could uh undersell it i mean it's uh, it's an automatic if you were to sell it at the price of retail it's six thousand dollars in hand but shit i mean yeah retail but if you go to a you know if you got a connection, if you got if you got a guy, you know somebody who knows what to do with it. Mm. And uh, you know you live in East LA, and it's a small town. <laughs> Things can happen. I mean, maybe never six grand a pop, but maybe for like five hundred a pop. Or, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Just undercut the fuck out of them. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Because nobody's going to get six grand a pop. That's what people in Beverly Hills pay, right? Uh, or whoever but yeah poor union pacific poor amazon they're getting knocked off union pacific always and they're the big uh train monopoly where i'm at i don't know do you do you know who your train monopoly is i don't off the top of my head no uh, yeah it's fun like that hey speaking of uh sh- uh shipping lines and, and shit like that i had one parting thought one parting thought uh, before uh, I think I go on to something else. Um, I was thinking about the Suez Canal thing. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yep. What was your impression when that happened? Uh, well, <laughs> it felt very deliberate. Yes. Other it felt than, fixed. Other than that. I'm not really sure. I don't have a, I don't have an incredibly informed opinion, but, um, you know, if I really wanted to dick over a ton of people, I would take my giant boat and wedge it up in there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know what? I've decided like, to ruin everybody's day, actually. You know what? Fuck the world. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get a real ding for that one. Yep. (laughs) Somebody was like, yeah, (laughs) fuck the world. It it could have been Jeff Epstein. You never know. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Uh, So when I, when I first learned about it, it was like, yeah, that essentially they're fucking the world, whatever. Um, I heard some conspiracies later down the line about it trafficking people. 
about it being like you know part of the the Pizzagate type of scenario. Oh, and uh, I look, I started looking into it. I you know just this is very recently that I heard this because I don't really think the Suez Canal thing was all that long ago. I have in the notes uh, the New York Times article, which was written in March twenty on March twenty ninth, twenty twenty one. So it was a little over half a year ago that if anybody doesn't recall or isn't familiar, there was a large cargo ship called the Ever Given, uh, which is, I guess, one of the largest container ships in the world. Uh, the ship is owned by a bunch of different major international conglomerates. And um, when it was going through the Suez Canal, which is probably one, I mean, one of the two most important canals in the world the other being the panama canal mm-hmm. the suez canal running um through uh, egypt and and into the mediterranean and um yes there was this giant ship that wedged itself in it it got stuck in the mud and they couldn't fucking get it out and it was this giant pain in the ass and it apparently caused a lot of problems a lot of uh you know supply issue issues that i don't really think affected us Necessarily, I think it more affected Europe and um, and the Middle East. But there's all this news about it, the Ever Given, you know. And so you look into it and you go, okay, we have a conspiracy. They're trafficking people. And that's always kind of, you want to be careful with the trafficking thing and with the pedo thing because it can, like, sneak its way into everything in the conspiracy world. You can be like, oh, this guy's a pedo, that guy's a pedo. You could be like Elon Musk when they when he sent that submarine to Taiwan. Remember that? Oh yeah. And they were like, "We don't want your submarine." And Elon's like, "Yeah, well, you guys are pedos." And he, they were like, "What? <laughs> that was uncalled for." You know. So I remember that. Like, conspiracy people they don't want. To, I don't want to do yeah, that. that's when uh, all of the people were trapped in the mine, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Or no, they were trapped in a. Uh, they were diving. Oh, and they, or something. Yeah, and some they, sort of like undersea cavern or something. Or, or were they climbing? Maybe they climbed through a cave and they got stuck in a cave, and the only way to save them was like through some water. They had to swim. They had to send divers in. The, I don't know. I, I didn't really pay too much attention to it, other than Elon Musk making a, an asshole of himself over the whole thing. Um, but anyway, I, I, I when you get the trafficking thing, you want to be hesitant about the accusations because it can be a lot of schizos just just harping on it or whatever but i started looking into the exact voyage that the ever given was on when it was going through the suez canal it was traveling from malaysia to rotterdam in the netherlands those two places malaysia and rotterdam uh are like the two of the biggest sex trafficking capitals of the world so that already kind of just like raises a little red flag to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the ship remained in place for six days before salvage crews freed it on the 29th of March, which is when that New Year's New York Times article is dated. Um, and there's a bunch of claims. Um, I didn't really have any clips because there's it's really hard to kind of find anything on the subject. And I was trying to find like anything. Uh, 4chan articles, anything, uh, bit shoot shit. 
and there isn't really a lot <laughs> that's going on. So I'm, I'm going to keep looking into it. But what I do know, and which is also really funny, is just people rejecting it. The way that people reject it, like uh, the the fact checkers. Everybody came out of the woodwork. The fact checkers and Vice and the Twitters and all these guys, they all came out and they were like, no way, no way, no way. Let me let me show you why. Let me tell you why. So I, I posted a little fact check in PolitiFact. Navy SEALs found over a thousand tribal children, dead bodies, and evergreen ship that blocked the Suez Canal. Fact check. False. No. No traffic children, blah, blah, blah. No evidence. <laughs> okay, you guys, no. It's made up. Shut the fuck up. And that's really actually the whole article. It doesn't really, it, that's that's really all it feels that it needs to get into. Just be like, no. <laughs> it doesn't give anything. It doesn't give pictures. It doesn't give, I don't know. I don't know how you would disprove it exactly, now that I think about it. But there must be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Let's see if Vice found a better way. Oh, QAnons. Oh, dick ship conspiracies. Oh, Vice, you're always getting it right. Oh, by the way, the ship did make a... It cruised along in the shape of a dick at some point. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. So the ship moved in the shape of a dick. Somebody (laughs) steered the ship in in the shape of a dick and then rammed it into the Suez Canal. Nobody makes this. No one's making the connection here. A little foreshadowing, a little foreskin shadowing here. Oh, you know, funny enough, I do have a clip. Uh, now that I think about it, I have a clip that details the sound of the of the uh, ever given uh, sailing into the Suez Canal. Mm, that's science. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to distract you with my incessant cl- uh, ISOs. <laughs> that's okay. I needed to break up the ice with a little sex noise. We are talking about dicks and stuff, so it's okay. Now, yes. I will say I did see something here. Uh, the Ever Given is registered in Panama. Um, Panama. That, that kind of gets my bell a tingling thinking about the Panama Papers. I mean, there's a lot of mystery money in the Panamas, it seems. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's where the elites operate. Well, and the people that own this fucking thing, this ship is a is a big deal. It's a... Uh, let me find this, uh, this fucking... Largest container ships in the world. It's owned by a ship-owning leasing subsidiary of the large Japanese shipbuilding company, Amar... M Abari shipbuilding. So it's owned by a giant Japanese shipbuilding conglomerate. It's chartered by Evergreen Marine headquartered in Taiwan. So it's part of some major Taiwan conglomerate. And then it's managed technically man. The technical management is handled by a German company. So it's this giant dirty whore. That's everyone's got their fingers in. <laughs> This big, big fucking ship. You get a finger, and you get a finger, and you get a finger. Everyone gets the shot of the pie, man. You can't slam it and be like, it's a Japanese ship. It's it's not a Japanese ship. It's a Japanese, it's a Thai, and it's a uh, German ship, and it's whatever the, whoever the stockholders, I don't know. 
It's crazy. It's it's a very, very fancy, massive, expensive ship. And for it to not be tied up in what we assume, and by the way, we're assuming, again, and this is the Epstein smoking gun situation. Epstein breaks us all open, and we can totally operate at the level where we know for a fact that there are elite sex trafficking networks that exist, and that very affluent and very powerful people participate in this sex trafficking thing. It's one of the it's one of the benefits that you get from being a billionaire, basically. And it's also, I guess, part of the way you get into the club is that you have to participate in this sort of a, a thing, one of us type of deal. And so assuming that that actually exists, to it would be easy to assume that this giant super fancy cargo ship has probably participated in some smuggling operation of some level, whether it be literally sex trafficking or just any kind of smuggling, drug smuggling, gun smuggling, whatever, um, contraband. So it is a shady ship, and it's definitely should be held suspect to something. Maybe not something as insidious and satanic and crazy evil as, you know, elite sex trafficking, but it seems to kind of fucking, I just like the Malaysia Rotterdam thing. I mean, that alone made me want to look into this even more. Because those places are notorious. (laughs) Notorious. I mean, talk about fucking the worst places. I don't know what else is worse than those two places. Um, Uh, Maybe maybe towns where the Super Bowl has taken place. I've heard those uh, those areas can get kind of dicey for human trafficking. Oh, man. It just goes to show you it's, well... And that's what we hear about in America. I bet you when the World Cup takes place, imagine that. Oh, boy. The Olympics, yeah. The Olympics, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, I don't want to get too sour on that. I just, I just wanted to talk about it just to bring it up again so that it's still fresh in people's minds because this seems like this was kind of a big deal when this happened. Yeah, um, and the more we talk about it, the more it's kind of coming back to me. I remember seeing some people mumbling on uh, on the air or uh, ruminant, um ruminating i should say uh on the internet that's uh this this was a big military sting rescue operation mm, mm-hmm. but you could never put that down either that it could be some covert operation of some kind mm, i did hear the same thing about uh time no not Times square uh central park in manhattan but uh there was a big rescue op going down. They were pulling kids from the, the tunnels underneath the New York mm. kids that had essentially gone feral. Um, no, sure. uh, no exposure to sunlight. Uh, you know, incredibly malnourished. The kids who live in the, in the abandoned subway tunnels. Cause there's, I don't know if anyone knows this, but in New York city, I'm sure some people do. There are, Stories upon stories upon stories of levels upon levels of abandoned subway tunnels. And um, there's been stories for years about the whole communities of people that live underground that don't ever see the sun. Um, That's actually, yeah, it's actually one of probably the most terrifying, um, if you want to call it conspiracy, if you want to call it an urban legend. Uh, just the idea that there's this whole 
society of people that just spend all of their time underground, you know, uh, white as shale because there's zero exposure to sunlight, just feasting on one another and fucking one another, zipping mm-hmm. up that family tree. Yes, Coffee Von Dust Bubble, mole people in car planes. Yeah, mole people. They're just people, just people that are, and they, they procreate and they have progeny down there that are born in the dark. They're born in the dark. Oh, think, uh, did you ever see, um, beneath the planet of the apes? No, <laughs> I yeah. stopped watching after planet of the apes seven or eight. This would have been, uh, this is still Charlton Heston. Oh, yeah. I, I want to say it's the second one. And there is, oh, then I've seen it yeah. a long time ago, I guess. There's a group of people that, uh, that live underneath of the, um, I guess that like former Manhattan Island area where the first movie takes place. And it's this cult of, uh, underground dwellers that are worshiping, um, a nuclear bomb, essentially. It's hmm. nutty. I actually, I think I like that one oh, better yeah. than the first one. Hot take. Do that does sound familiar. Okay, we got to put that on the list because I got to freshen up on that one. That's a, oh, that's yeah. a good one. Well, uh, it's always been a story because they've always had those tunnels in, in New York for a long time. I mean, not always, but for like over 100 years now since uh, the Vanderbilt guy built it. You mean uh, Anderson Pooper's uh, great, great, great ancestor? Yeah, Pooper's great granddad, uh, Cornelius. Cornelius Vanderbilt. He's the guy who who built all that shit. And um and they've obviously developed it since, but I mean he fucking built a bunch of shit for his day. And uh all these beautiful train stations that aren't there anymore. Penn Station where where Madison Square Garden is now. They used to have just this most magnificent, gorgeous it was like something that you would find in Rome. Um this gorgeous stone building massive with gargoyles and statues and all the shit. And it was one of the most beautiful things that had ever been built on American soil. And they tore it down to build Madison square garden and the city has regretted it ever since. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know that story. I've heard, uh, I've never had the pleasure of playing Madison square garden, but I've heard some horror stories about it. Yeah. Uh, just the, the fact that the, to get, I think from the loading dock, to the actual floor, there's several uh, steep ramps involved that they have to fork everything up and down. Oh, and, God. you know, it could be something something under 50 pounds that's, uh, you know, fairly easy to carry, manipulate, what have you. And you still have to put it on a forklift because that's how strong the, uh, the union rules are there. And, for example, um, speaking on the union rules, the... Uh, there's a there's the venue electrician that you got to talk to for, you know, getting all the stage power ran. But there's also a separate electricians union that runs all of the um, just like the general uh, uh, outlets for, you know, like uh, people on concession, uh, the concession floor, for example. If you got to plug in a booth, you got to mm-hmm. find a guy to plug in the cable for you. Because it's a union house. Hey, man, they're way too. uh into that union shit. Well, it's all, you know, that the, the mob and shit, they all got their hands and all that stuff. And mm. the unions themselves are mobs. And I say that as a union guy, 
Over yeah. in New York, the unions are a different kind of union. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are hardcore. And yeah, I, I bet that the fucking ramps are there just to fuck you, just so they could make a buck. So the unions, you know, could get their piece. I don't know. I don't know why they have that, but Madison Square Garden is a, uh, I hear quite a piece of work, as you say. Yeah. I won't go there because I don't give a shit about the Knicks. And I've never been there when there's been a show there that I would want to see. But it's in like the most blown out part of New York at the mouth of Broadway. Or, you know, it's not too far from Broadway. But, man, that place must have just get used and used and used and used and used. Uh, yep. Unions. Well, anyway, that's uh, all I have on that. I don't even know. How do we get to New We go to New York by talking about... Uh, the Vanderbilts and the, the tunnels right. and the tunnels. So, parting thought on that: I think that the two best cities in the world to live underground, definitely New York. I don't know about best, but the ones where you could actually do it and have an entire society and nobody fucking knows about it, and it probably exists, but nobody knows. Um, New York and Paris. Ah, uh, yes, I was going to say Paris. Paris. Look at us brain waving. <laughs> That's it. Wayne Braven. Creepy. And uh, oddly terrifying. Oddly terrifying? I was just about to say that. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Do we uh, have any screen mails? Uh, yes, we do. We have one, and uh, if you want to get in on this action, get into our ear holes. And we'll play it on the air. Call that Get number. In my ear hole. Tell them that number. That phone number that which you might want to call and leave us a voicemail, pretty please, is 612-263-7999. Once more, 612-263-7999. Give us a call. Oh, hey, guys. I want you to drive that dick shit into my port. Just it's ramming up my port, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, God, here comes that ship. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah! <laughs> mm, canal, good to see you, caller. <laughs> Do you like my canal today? <laughs> <laughs> Should we try canal? <laughs> And perhaps a little canal and chill. <laughs> mm. Hell yeah. Well, um, there was, uh, not to go too far back, but I, uh, and this is kind of echoing cog story. Another part that I caught tonight, the, uh, John C. Dvorak, um, commenting on the fact that it was probably red dead redemption Two. That was training people how to rob trains. I got a kick out of. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. How does he know about Red Dead Redemption 2? Don't know. That's an interesting question. I wonder if he plays online. If he does, we should make a posse. John. <laughs> the John, the, the JCD gang. Yeah, yeah. The Dvorak gang. We're oh, with the Dvorak gang. There you go. There you go. The Dvorak gang. <laughs> That's right. And he can play like a Polish immigrant or something. I don't know. 
be fun. Nice. I love that game. I fucking love. Have you ever played online Red Dead Redemption? I uh, last year I was playing a lot. I would actually uh, sit and hang out and listen slash watch a lot of Nick the Rat while I was mm-hmm. playing that game. Yeah, well, you did the story mode. Uh, I did the story mode on uh, not on the computer. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. I have played the story mode. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I was a big fan of uh, Red Dead Redemption 1 and the zombie version. Actually, the zombie one was my favorite. Of course. I was yeah, hoping, those are classics. I was hoping to get a, some zombie DLC for uh, RDR 2, but uh never happened. Oh, well. Dude, they're still crushing on the... I got some Christmas content on the RDR 2 online, which I play every now and again. I, lo- I made this online character for Red Dead, and you can create your own character... Right. And so I obviously made my guy at like really ugly. Like I made him like really, really ugly. Cause it's realistic for the time. It's like everybody's running around and they all look like movie stars, but it's like, that's not what they looked like back then. Yeah. <laughs> I you did, know, I did the same thing, but I made my character a lady. <laughs> oh, an ugly lady. Nice. All nice. wrinkled and got, uh, uh, just I I forget exactly how they phrase the um the like battle damage or road worn or whatever it was just very <laughs> very haggard looking lady. <laughs> uh, would you like road worn, sir? Yes, please. <laughs> we'll take road. Oh, Thank you. excellent vintage, eighteen sixty three. Mm, oh, post Civil War, a little new for my taste, but oh well. Uh, yeah, my guy looks like he was a burn victim or something. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, well, does that uh, does that leave us at an intermission then? I do believe so. Nice. Uh, during intermission, uh, you know, smoke them if you got them, and give us a call at six one two two six three seven nine nine nine. Yeah, fill up that sexy SXXY inbox for us. And um, this intermission comes from Lavish tonight. You got anything you want to say about it? The there's a there's in the middle of it. There's a rap battle between uh, uh, Musa Musa, one of the great kings uh, of Africa, and Jeff Bezos. So those are the two people that are having a rap battle. Oh, <laughs> very excellent. Well, this should be a lot of fun. I think it's Musa Musa. I'll, I'll, I'll revise that. Yeah, it should be okay. <laughs> Buckle up, boys and girls. <laughs> Buckling.
course, I'm very excited to hear what he has to say on Martin Luther King Day. I'm sure he'll talk a little bit about Russia, maybe China. China's all over. Maybe MLK. China, China, China is all over. I'm sure he's going to be talking about that some. Ukraine, maybe, the Texas synagogue in Texas. There's so much to talk about. I can't wait to hear what uh, the 45th president uh, decided was worthy of writing about this morning on MLK Day. Go ahead, hit it. So let's recall, of course, Donald Trump, not on Twitter, but he does send out statements from time to time on yeah. email. And uh, here's what we yeah. have. This one just arrived. Quote, will Morning Joe be canceled? He and Mika's ratings are very low. They're having an extremely hard time finding an audience to listen to the fake news they spurn. Mm. Losing them mm. would be very spurn. sad. Hope spurn. it doesn't happen. What? Hope it doesn't spurn. happen. So Hope the operative uh, word. There the is, operative you know, word. He has got his finger Hope it doesn't happen. And such kind words yeah. for the show there. Hope it doesn't happen. We do spurn yeah. fake news. What? I think Did you? a couple things here. I've never heard him talk about spurn. Um, <laughs> spurn, using that as a word. New word. New I haven't. Have you? I have. No, that's new vocabulary. I don't use the word. It's new vocabulary. Spurn. you got to be careful using that word. I wouldn't use that word. I'm personally. looking it up. Secondly, Rev, he can't quit us. He even says that'd be a shame. That'd be a shame. Spurn. If morning Reject. Reject. So we reject fake news. That's, well, at least well, he's accurate. Well, thank you, accurate. Mr. President. We appreciate that. I'm surprised he, we've been talking football for two hours. So yeah. I'm surprised he likes football. Rev, you think, you, he likes boxing. You think <sighs> maybe he'd write a little bit about our commentary on the Cowboys game or, oh, I don't know, perhaps talk about MLK Day. What do you think? Well, you, I, you think, think I think you got him. Upon a blaze basil, inflict the flammatory damage on Amazon. Burn it down like when they put the cattle on the hottest on the map. Sister Atlas, a cattle on King of Molly with gold bars you can't escape from. Lyrically, I pack heat. You pack a tape gun. I'm laying the blows you can't dodge. This ain't sales tax. I left footprints in the Sahara. I know how to track. Plus dorks like dot com bubbles when I hit them. Nah, you can't spit. You got that algorithm. Here's a nugget of advice to get your union problems handled. Want workers that don't piss? Hire some camel. I expanded horizons with libraries and mosques while you chopped off the top of all the mom and pop shops. All you widened was the gap between the haves and have nots. Now they order in or living in your cardboard box. At Amazon, our product research is phenomenal, but I've never heard your story. And I own Audible. So go dig some more gold near Kanye West Africa. I'm hotter than the soundtrack to Battlestar Galactica. Never trade clothes with Jesse Jeff Bezos. Egghead with a huge set of wavos. I circle people on the web to Spider-Man. You rap like a soccer mom, that's why you're rowing caravans. You're overrated, like you leave economies inflated. You're about to taste some of that salt that you traded. What's the long-term play in giving your wealth away? Cause now I feed your whole country for the price of a cup of coffee per day. So bow to me like you did to the king of Cairo. You're about as hack as Saudis have hit my iPhone. You'll be more ashamed than when you accidentally killed your mom. When I make you shit your pants, mercedipers.com. Hey, yo, Lex Loser, you look like a villain at Comic-Con. You getting ate up. You should have battled me on Ramadan. A harem of women's what I had on my staff. You married one woman, Jeff, and she cut you in half. <laughs> David Pecker picked the peck of your pita pigs. Now your new girl got them feeding me. See more 
snitch. And it turns out her own brother was the snitch. Woo, fix your face. No wonder you bought Twitch. Now let me really break it down because there's more to him. He ain't a Bezos. His real name is Jorgensen. <laughs> but daddy loved unicycles more than him. So we rolled out. Now that's a blue origin. Take one small step towards a different profit. Because these days you're just as cocky as your rocket. I'm the cream of the crop. I'm on top. I'm ice cold. This Muslim just served you. Allah, Moe. What's that lyrically legal? I'm relentless. African first immune. I wanted to waste my life in desert spice and watch too. What do we give McKinsey? 40 billion? So what? <laughs> Earning every penny back only took me a month. I went from Hobbit Dork to Slick Orc Physique. Now I'm Lord of the Rings. Take a pee. <laughs> Three years to trek to Mecca, man. You must be tripping. One click, I'll get you there overnight. With free shipping. I'm hard corporate. Top tier of the Forbes list. You couldn't even hit top tier in Civ 6. I'm schooling you like Timbuktu. Eating you like Whole Foods. Your ship is still just like the dude who came before you. You ain't fire, can't hold the candle to me. I got the flywheel flows, I revolutionize delivery. Your talent's on the beauty like my tax. Still, Alexa, what do we have that he lacks? Still. <laughs>
We now return to Behind the Schemes. Starring Booberry, 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 and Lavish. Lavish, 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 Lavish. Welcome back to second second half of show for second, episode second show. eighty of Behind the Schemes. Second second half of show. Second second half. Second second, second, second half. half of show. <laughs> second second. Yeah, it's uh, Behind the Schemes. Uh, my name is Lavish. I'm here with Sir Booberry, Mothman of the Miniocalypse, and we are, or sorry, Sue, Sir Booberry, Knight of the Moth, Black Knight of the Mothman. Got to get that right. It's a title. And uh, it's currently January 17th, 2022. And it's second second a show, bitch. Welcome back. And uh, like we said earlier, we... Oh, God damn you. I'm just trying to update... God damn you. Oh, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? She's a cruel mistress. Yeah, this is super bizarre. Um, so we, uh, we'll take the time to thank our producers now. And we had a bunch of folks come through, uh, which yeah. is a lot of fun. Thank uh, you so much. This is a value for value production. We wouldn't exist without producers and everybody who listens, uh, basically is a producer. If you give us your time, you're a producer, but if you want to contribute in any meaningful way, you can also send us articles, emails, pictures, financial contributions, uh, and that makes you a freak of hazard. Which uh, means you're going to get shout out right now. Yes, and uh, you know, uh, calling into the voicemail line at six one two two six three seven nine 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 is the easiest way to uh, help support this show and keep it on the air. Um, but we uh, we're not going to do ads, that's for sure, because then we wouldn't be able to talk about you know the ever the ever givens nasty little secrets. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. I'm just trying to to link a. Something I'm, I don't know what's going on. It's super super weird. It's just bugging out on me. It's a glitch. Should I shout out some freaks while you take care of that? Yeah, why don't, uh, why don't you hit me with that list? Um, All right. Well, coming in on our list of freaks of hazards, we have the inimitable Quaffy Von Dust Bubble slams in again with a monthly contribution of three dollars and thirty three cents. Thank you very much for your courage, Quaffy Von Dust Bubble. And we saw them uh, hanging out earlier in the chats, and it's always a pleasure to see him there, listening along for the live show. Thank you for your courage. Yes, yes. Catching the live show is fun, but of course, these are published and are around forever and ever and ever. So uh, you can go back and listen to them anytime. And Quaffy, uh, you are a freak of hazard for episode 80 of Behind the Schemes. Also, coming in as a freak of hazard... Actually, we got two guys who sent in some sick-ass clips this week. We had Junta, or Tahunta, or Tajunta, depending on your um, what region of the country or world you're from, is how you'll pronounce that. And Saroma. Uh, Saroma, the great Saroma. Yes, uh, Saroma sent in these two. Send the love to the boobs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, uh, this one as well. Monday, four twenty p.m. Nice. <laughs> uh, Classic. Now, can we get Monday, an AM? Four twenty p.m. Four twenty p.m. They were yeah. talking about the weather for the county of twenty p.m. Weather for twenty. I'm oh, sorry, that was a stupid joke. Uh, it's okay. I'll let that one slide. Thank you. Just this time, though. 
just one. <laughs> Everybody gets one per episode. <laughs> and then uh, Tunsa sent in this one. Where did I put it? The Lord of this world is behind the schemes. Yeah. <laughs> say it loud, say it proud. I'd like to thank these gentlemen for doing the work. Junta for doing the vocal work, putting in the putting in some work. So thank you, gentlemen. Now that is producing. He sent in two clips, and I forgot to circle back with him. Um, both of them they were titled two different things, but they ended up being the same clip. Um, so I'm not sure if that was a uh, just a double tap or if something got mislabeled or something. I just uh, I, I I'm I apologize for not saying something a little sooner. Hmm. All right. Well, Junta or anyone who does that, you can correct that and send them on in. Next up on the Freak of Hazard list, we have Cotton Gin. Cotton Gin, who did some really cool stuff with Gal. By the way, Gal is the hottest bot uh, around. Really, really quite hot. Red hot bot that was created by uh, our forever Freak of Hazard, Mr. Servo. And, uh, Scott and Jin provided a new little um and a function to to the bot, which is a CD changer or a track selector, in which uh, we can set a certain number of CDs and a certain number of tracks, and we can pick at random uh, from that if we ever have a selection of CDs that we want to do. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's essentially a jukebox feature. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, so. Neat. Another thing that makes that grows to Gal's ever growing gallishness of power. <laughs> Simply gallish. <laughs> Positively gallish, darling. Excellent. Excellent. Nice work, Cotton Gin. Thank you, sir. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Cotton Gin. Thank you, Servo, for getting that implemented. Uh, the, the whole gag of it originated out of I had a stack of CDs here and I was having people roll die through gal to pick the cd number and then pick the track number so this helps mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> this uh helps uh just automate that whole process and it's very sexy mm, so sexy it's so fun it's so much fun to hang out in the chat and 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 be doing stuff and being like oh man if only we could do this and then and then someone like cotton gin or servo will come along and be like oh this and then they'll they'll hit us with a plug-in or something and we'll be like oh shit yeah, that. So that's why you should come hang out in the chat. Hashtag green room. IRC.zeronote.net. Indeed. We have even more freaks of hazards. We have the great Sir Fletcher, Sir John Fletcher of Hog Story fame, who is coming with his monthly support of $5.55. Thank you. Thank you, Sir John Fletcher. He hosts Hog Story with Carolyn Blaney, which is every Monday and Thursday night. You can check him out. I have a question for Carolyn. Do you like my outfit today? <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Do you like my outfit today? Well, hello, peekaboo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I thought she was. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I see double thought in the, in the chat. Derek has decided to hang out t- tonight. Good to see you, Derek. Oh yeah. Um anyway, moving on, we've got one uh, one really awesome great fantastic freak of hazard left. Last but not least, we have Sharky. 
comes in with a sack of magic numbers. He sent in 33.33. Ooh. So hot. He sends in a note as well. He says, for the live streams and the moonbeams. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Sharky. We really appreciate that, man. Yeah, thank you, Sharky. That's awfully kind of you, sir, thank, or madam. I, I don't know. I'm not going to assume people's gender here. <laughs> we're not one of those productions. No, we're a late night show. And uh, there, sorry, there's just no genders here. <laughs> Welcome to no agenda. <laughs> no genders. <laughs> I walked into a meetup once and asked that, and they were like, "Yeah." I asked, "Are there no genders here?" And they're like, ah, "And they bought me a beer." Nice. I was like, yep, I'm in the right place. Uh, we did have someone else come through uh, during intermission, and I just got it updated on the Zoso's Corner. I was, I'm was, i having troubles getting the uh, the hyperlink to, to go through to their website. I'm not sure what's going on there. But Double Thought uh, is in again with another much-appreciated $3.33 donation. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Sliding in. Stole home. Sliding in safe. Safe. Thank you, Derek. You are safe. <laughs> with your 333, sir. You are a freak of hazard and a producer of episode 80 of Unschemes. And I'll uh I'll I'll try and figure out what's going on with this link because I definitely want to make sure uh, we get double thought dimension, which is double thought dimension.com uh link there. It's a show that uh Derek and does with his wife Tony. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh, com. Yes, and uh, we just want to say again, thank you to everybody that's, uh, that comes forward and helps produce this show, whether it be music or art or ISOs or voicemails. All of it is greatly appreciated. It's true public radio. NPR can suck my average-sized American cock. And uh, an above-average taint. <laughs> yes. Not Everyone donated lavishly. Average. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> they did today. And also your gummies. I've been having the gummies and they're so good. They're so oh, tasty. Oh, yes. Tuntas. Mousy Bear. Mousy Bear Wellness Gummies. Mousy Bear Wellness Gummies. I've been having. They, they recommend. They Actually, they don't recommend. They limit me at three a day. So <laughs> I'll be, be just doing three a day. Nice. For now. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll see. They're very tasty. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Let's see. Maybe I can string these two together. Everyone donated lavishly. Oh, God bless all this money. <laughs> <laughs> A woman. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A woman. A woman. <laughs> no genders. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> no agenda in the taint. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> you want to uh, see the canal? <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> the canal? <laughs> yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> you want to see the canal? <laughs> yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to... I posted pictures in the chat of the canal, so... 
Anybody can go there and see it. Alrighty. Um, so getting into my stories for tonight, um, I know that I had kind of asked you this, uh, in a private conversation, but podcasting 2.0, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I've been trying to get back on the wagon. I was going pretty steady there for a while, uh, catching all the weekly ones, but, um, now I think I've only missed like one in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I was kind of off and on again. Uh, it's a cool show. You know, they're, they're really kind of getting, uh, deep into the meat and potatoes of what's going on with all the new, uh, podcasting 2.0 protocols. It's a good mm-hmm. time. Uh, and I find, uh, I find Dave Jones to be quite a charming dude. Okay. He's the, uh, sort of the, one of the main technical men behind building of the, uh, podcast index. Mm-hmm. So they're doing a lot of good work and, um, they have all sorts of uh, cool people on there. I want to say the two guests from this previous week, episode 69, uh, came from rss.com, which is a, a hosting service. Um, I, I think they're based out of, uh, South America or Central America, um, somewhere in there. But, um, I actually, I made podcasting 2.0 a special jingle. Mm. And I've got a couple clips from uh, Podcasting 2.0 with Adam and John playing with it. Here's the first one. The 2000, row of dogs, 2,222 oh, sets from Pitar. I have a new one for that. <laughs> what? Where did you get this? <laughs> That's good. Uh, gosh, I wish I remember who sent it to us. That's nice. Oh, I like it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, the duck, it's the duck hunt boost. It's your row oh, of ducks. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is duck Here, hunt. listen again. Here, get it. <laughs> that is beautiful. Old school eight bit baby. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so not only did they play it the one time, uh the to I guess to trigger it, you gotta send in a row of ducks, which is two 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 or uh two thousand two hundred twenty two or twenty two thousand two hundred twenty two. Um and I just remembered I didn't check our boost I haven't seen any come in. But I know that there's an update out for a helipad, so I need to investigate how to get that all up to speed. But um, they actually they they ended up playing this ISO several times throughout the show. Uh, I want I want to say I want to say it was like upwards of six, maybe seven. But uh, this is just another example. Mike Caden over at Red Circle sent us a row of ducks twenty two twenty two through Curiocaster. <laughs> I like that. It says, first red circle boost, go podcast. Yes, you Thank got you. it. Go podcasting! Thanks, Mike. Did you hear the way Adam was laughing about that? Yeah. Loves <laughs> it. That's going to be a staple now. Um, so it's uh, it's kind of giving me the itch. I want to send him that other uh, Ride the Lightning Metallica boost that I got. Uh, but yeah, I think I think you realize it like that little... Uh, jingle of uh, getting the hit is just like pure fucking uh, dopamine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so not only not <laughs> only did they play it throughout the donation segment, but uh, well, here's the outro to episode sixty nine. All right, Dave, anything for you? Uh, no, man, just heading back to work and getting the getting the grind on. Okay, well, we will be back with another board meeting next week. Podcasting two point Check everything out at podcastindex.org, podcastindex.social. We'll talk to you next week.
Podcasting 2.0. Visit podcastindex.org for more information. Go podcasting! Don't just stand there. <laughs> it was worth it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> About shit a brick when I heard it there at the end of the show. Cotton Gin was like, he hit me up in the chat. He was like, hey, have you listened to the latest uh, uh, episode? I was like, no, not yet. Uh, I got it in my queue, though. And uh, he was like, okay, uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you. So just <laughs> let me know when you listen. <laughs> How did he know that it was your jingle? Because he didn't mention you by name we um we were in uh by we i mean um sir spencer and Gwyff and sir sir seat sitter when we did the last misinformed uh episode it was part of the post-show content i want to say ah, I and see. and i was discussing wanting to make a duck hunt uh boost jingle okay so so it was a deep cut, but if you were there, you'd know. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. I like it. Yeah, it was it all was, right. It was uh, it was very cool. It was a uh, it, it certainly made my Friday. That's that's super super cool. You know, there's a there's a list of accolades that are quietly building up with you that I think one of these days you'll you'll drop on and be like, by the way, I'm the love is lit guy. I'm the duck hunt in a row. Duck, ducks in a row, sat sky, or what? I don't know. Maybe that's arrogant. Maybe he like won't give a shit. But I just think it, at, at some point you can come up to him with like a little note card of being like, "Here's the things that I've given to you," and he'll look at it and be like, "Oh shit." Well, should we discuss that one thing that's coming up, or do you want to save it? I don't know. I don't. I haven't looked in the notes. You told. It's a surprise no, for no, me. No, 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 no. I mean the um the. The episode in February. The episode in February. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Lavish and I have an incredibly exciting announcement. Yeah. We are going to be doing our very first in-person live show together. That's right. If you can believe it. That's right. It's going to be... Let's check the calendar here. Yeah, it's on. It falls on oh, some. Uh, some. It's a Monday. Oh, yeah, it's a Monday for sure. But it's a very special Monday. This. Uh, oh no! You first, please. <laughs> no, no. You go ahead. Uh, Lavish and I will be doing an in-person episode on none other than Valentine's Day. That's right. And Lavish, where are we going to be doing this episode from? Well. Uh, Booberry, uh, very graciously invited me to a Valentine's Day, uh, skating thing. And, uh, I guess, I guess he's, we're going to go to somewhere in Nashville and we're going to go to some ice skating rink somewhere in, in Nashville. And, uh, yeah. And I guess we're going to go hang out with some other people that are going to drop through. It's going to be quite, quite the occasion. I mean, we're going to do the show, but we're also going to be there to uh, to go to this meetup. We're going to go to this meetup, which I I keep hearing things about. I I, I just was just going to go to Nashville just because I I love ice skating and I wanted to get some barbecue <laughs> and I wanted to see some live music. But I guess there's a big meetup going on there too. So 
Oh, Sharky just gave me triple three karma in the chat. Thank you, Sharky. Oh shit! Look at that. Along nice. with the uh, the pro- the producership, I'd say that is most apt. Yeah, that's most a, apt. Some lucky fucking numbers there. <laughs> We're all threes. And by the way, if anyone didn't know, it's a fucking full moon. Or if it if it's not a full moon, it's just barely not a full moon. It's like whoa, dude. It's, uh, very full. Four threes in the donation. Three threes in your uh, uh, karma boost. You take those together, you get seven threes, which equals 21 when you multiply them. And then you take the, 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 the 21 and you add the two and the one and you get another three. Oh my God. <laughs> it's all a circle. Do you understand? It's a spiral. It's phi. It's this big spiraling, circling thing forever. Yes. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So, yes, it's going to be an incredibly exciting time. The bowlers from Bowl After Bowl, bowlafterbowl.com. Yeah, Dame who are all DeLorean. the people that are going here? We got we got Dame DeLorean, Sir Spencer. We got Dame Jennifer. She'll be there. Dame Jennifer. Uh, Sir Sir Seat Sitter is talking about driving out. I think he's pretty much uh, set on coming. Um, uh, Adam and Tina, the keeper, are coming. Holy shit. Adam and Tina are going to be there. I found that out a little later. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I was like, is that why this is a big deal? I would guess so. Um, I know Abel Kirby was talking about coming out there. Uh, Sir Chris Vox. Yes. Thank you, Sir Spencer. Sir Chris Vox. Yeah. It's going to be a pretty. Oh, it's and it's roller skating. It's not ice skating. See, this just goes to show how much I know about this thing. I'm just showing up. I don't know what's going on. I'm just kidding. I love this. This this is this is a ton of fun. I can't wait to do this. Oh yeah, dude. So uh, our plan Thank is. Thank God it's roller skating. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ! I thought I was gonna get a fucking concussion out there or something. I was like, I don't know. I can't really do that. But I guess I'll learn the hard way. So tentatively, our plan is to do a live in-person show and 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 get as many people as we can fit onto the show for that Monday night's behind the schemes. Mm-hmm. So that's um, correct. It's going to be lit i can't wait i'm incredibly excited um yeah i just uh i I think it's i think the list of people is only going to grow and grow and also i I don't know how to roller skate so you won't see me out there well if it's roller skating then it's okay if it's four wheels per foot then that's okay and and they're pair in pairs you know Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they were, even if they were roller skates, I think I could still do it. Right. It's better than ice. I don't want, I don't want ice skates. I, I'll die. People will die if you go out <laughs> on ice skates, like slitting your throat open and breaking your skull on the thing. And we don't want that. So, but I think that this, uh, this meetup is going to snowball. I think that's just, it's got that feeling to it. It's like people are just going to go because people are going. And it's like, uh, what did, what did PT Barnum say? <laughs> if you book them, they will come. <laughs> I think that was, no, that was God who said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was God. What PT Barnum said was, uh, Nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. Oh, yes. Very true. Wise words indeed. Mm. Yep. It'll be it'll be awesome. 
and uh, yeah, we're going to hit some some barbecue, and we're going to do our live show. We're going to do the in-person show, and we're just going to be like, I don't know. I, we're going to get Adam in there, and we're going to get Tina in there, and we're going to get Spencer and DeLorean. And- don't think I haven't already thought to ask Adam if he would uh, <laughs> maybe swing by. I don't know, like... It's going to be a 10:30 start on the East Coast or the There's no fucking way he'll do it. But it would be funny to ask him anyway. Yeah. And knowing that he would say no. Yeah. Yeah. And Does, if we you know whatever, we'll, you know. Doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. We'll grease him up. We'll get him a liquor or whatever. We'll, you know, we'll buy him a drink. <laughs> hey, we'll, uh, we'll slide a little ever given into that canal. <laughs> should I uh should I sneak a bunch of California purple? And give it to him? Hey, man. Well, there's more of this at the Airbnb. <laughs> more of this at the airport. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and my bag that got confiscated. <laughs> <laughs> In security. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Uh, but, oh, we, yeah, that, that's for later. We still got to pick the Airbnb. Oh, yes, this is true. Yeah. It's a good time. Well, cool. Uh, get excited about it. I think it's going to be... A sweet time. I can't wait. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm overjoyed. Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked. This is going to be fun. I, I'm really looking forward to getting out of California, mm. even if it's only for a couple days. No doubt. Well, let me, uh, let me hit you with some, uh, an actual couple of news stories here real fast. Um, Truly. When dragons roamed the sea. Uh, the largest and most complete sea dragon was found in the United Kingdom. The fossilized ichthyosaur had a six-foot skull weighing about one ton and was 32 Whoa. feet in length. Whoa, cool. Dude, it's huge. This thing Show is, me where my pick's at. Uh, let's see. I got one here I can send. Um, pick me, bro. It's, uh... Oh, here we go. I think I got it. Yeah. Oh, I got the... Vi- hmm? Here we go. Huh? Here we go. I got it. It's coming to you. I think. Coming in hot. There we go. I forgot how to operate a computer there momentarily. Wow, look at the size of this son of a bitch. Yeah, so uh it was estimated to live about 180 million years ago. And it is the most complete and larger than any dinosaur skeleton ever found in the area. Um, during this time period, it would have been right at the top of the food chain. It's an, it's a quote, ultimate apex predator, perhaps one of the biggest animals in the sea worldwide. Wow. Looking at this head, this head looks like a small car, like a European sized car. Oh yeah. I'm curious uh, what the size of it, like a elephant skull is compared to its, its head. Uh, they found a couple in the 1970s. Bigger ones have been found outside of this site, but uh, I guess ones of this size are rare indeed. And the Ithiosaurus is a—it's a blend. It kind of looks like a blend of a dolphin and a shark, and mm. uh, went extinct about 90 million years ago. Man, I gotta—I wow. gotta stop writing my notes at like 4 a.m. in the morning. It's <laughs> the best time to write them. So many mistakes. Um, they got like a picture of about eight uh, children working on this thing, and they only take up like half of this thing. Oh yeah, all, like spread out working on it, and it kind of looks like an upside down like uh, 
like an old rotted fish or something. Kind of looks like it's got the same sort of structure as like an old fish sitting out. It's cool. And they found it in a landlocked county about a hundred miles north of London. So right, a there. landlocked county. Yeah, <laughs> hundred eighty million years ago, indeed. Oh yeah. Um, this part was pretty crazy. Someone stumbled across a bunch of uh, what they believed to be clay pipes sticking out of the ground, but uh, it turns out it was uh, I want to say it was part of the vertebrae. Um, yeah, sure. Wild. Yeah, even looking at this, you can see. Yeah, you can see the bone. You can see the little. Yeah, the vertebrae would look like little tubes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So cool. Imagine if uh, one of those came swimming up on you in a giant tidal wave. Apex. Double, double fucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you rather go with one of those or five dogs? Um, well, I don't like the water, so I'm going to have to default to the five dogs. Very well. These questions need to be asked, people. (laughs) Oh, let's see here. Um, I got another, this is a throwback video. It's in 1984. I got four clips from this one. Um, about a minute long for each one. We'll uh, hit them pretty quickly, but it's interesting because it gets into the early days of photo editing from Polaroid. And um, we take you way back now to the MIT area. Boston, on the northeastern seaboard of the United States, is one of the country's major centers for technological research. Only Silicon Valley on the west can rival Boston. The Massachusetts Institute for Technology is here, Harvard University, Biogen, Biotech, and uh, many other organizations involved in genetic engineering, the Digital Equipment Corporation, Hewlett-Packard, and of course, Polaroid. Well, for some 40 years now, the Polaroid Corporation has been involved and known throughout the world with instant pictures like this. But for the past few years, they've been diversifying, and at the moment, their vision research laboratories are experimenting with a revolutionary new form of digital imaging. Curious what genetic engineering in the 80s looked like. Uh... I'm afraid to say it's probably not much different from now. Mm. So uh, my second clip here gets into uh, this is a little little more specific about the type of monitors that they have to use in tandem with these computers, which I find fairly fascinating because everything is so high def and 4K in this day and age. But um, uh, back then, I guess you needed like uh, high quality studio monitors. The process involves taking an original image or picture, which may be a photograph or something which has been painted, drawn or whatever, putting it up on a TV screen and then beginning to play around with it and modify it. But the key to the system is how it gets to the TV screen in the first place. Well, a regular photograph, like this one or this one here, contains something like 100 million pieces of information about the light, the color, the density and so on of the images that it portrays. Now, it's a well-established technique to uh, pick up the information on a picture like this and uh, with a Viticon tube and portray it on a television screen. But what they can now also do is to pick that information up on something called a drum scanner, which converts it into digital information and then stores it in a large memory bank. Now, a normal television screen can display something like a million pieces of information. This is a high-quality 
uh, studio monitor that can portray about uh, five million pieces of information. But that's still far short of the uh, hundred million that exist in the main memory. And uh, if you go back and and check out the show notes and watch this video, it, there's some really impressive photos of or footage, I should say, of this equipment that they're discussing. You know, they've got these big drums. They're sitting there scanning the photos, and um, it's just it's utterly fascinating because at the time, you know, this is quite obviously cutting edge technology. The the, the idea and. I will say that the idea of editing photos isn't necessarily all that new. Looking at you, Stalin, um, it's just uh, it's it's kind of cool to hear people get stoked about uh, technology at that time, right? And and this beautiful art that was in existence, like you, you can tell that at the time this was a, an evolution of something that had been going on for forever, maybe since that war period. I mean, whatever technology Stalin was using. Sure, to to alter photos in that in the most top tier professional way, you never know. It could be foundational in the development of that sort of equipment, or part of it. You know, just taps into it, and it's 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 incredible to think how much went into it, how much tech went into it, how much money you probably you know to buy all that equipment to do all that shit and all that trade knowledge, and then now it's. I, I would I would say maybe obsolete, you know. You can do it on your phone. <laughs> you can Photoshop in in your pocket, right? But I mean, Photoshop. You, <laughs> yeah, seriously, you can like fudge and get drunk, and, and I mean that's I, even before. I mean, even before Photoshop, when you had Paint, you still could like you could do that with pixels and things like that. You could. Yeah, pixel by pixel. I mean, that's what they're kind of going in and demonstrating. And mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> one of the reasons why this photo or this video stood out to me is I would make the argument that there was a wild black cube spotting in this video. And uh, I'll drop that picture in the chat of uh, the <laughs> where the black cube ends up showing up. He's um, illustrating how you can go in and, and magnify and. Uh, you know, change it, change uh, the color of the pixel one by one. But here's our third clip. So what the operator does is to work with an image on the screen that is actually an average, if you like, of the more complete information that exists in the main memory. But because it's digital information, she has enormous control over what can be displayed on the screen. So with a few punches of the keyboard, uh, a little cursor appears on the screen. Like that. And also you get one degree of enlargement. And then by moving the cursor around, you can find a place that you might want to enlarge. And then just press the buttons here. There's four buttons. And it'll enlarge at one time. Then you can move the cursor around, if you like, to somewhere else and enlarge it again. It's exactly two times magnification with each jump. But the system has the capacity to do that nine times. And that's effectively a magnification of 500, which will in fact fill the screen with a single pixel. And even when it's not as big a magnification as that, you can still do things with it. For instance, if we move the cursor around to pick up a square, the operator can start to manipulate the square by changing it. Let's try changing the color to black. And then if I pull the magnification back again, you can see what a difference that one black square makes. <laughs> knocked a black square right in uh, right in this lady's teeth 
that they were sitting here not photoshopping but photo editing. Mm-hmm. And uh, my last clip here, uh, I thought it was pretty cool that um, they had the foresight to realize that uh, maybe this technology could be utilized for other reasons. Now, what this means is that by manipulating a picture at so basic a level, it can be changed in such a high-definition way that it's impossible to tell that those changes have been made artificially. The principles being developed by Polaroid have been incorporated into this equipment produced by the Cytex Corporation and demonstrated here at the Acme Printing Company in Boston. The potential for the system goes a lot further than that. Operators say they can take a group photograph, for instance, and rearrange the people's heads on different shoulders in such perfect detail it would be impossible to tell a change had been made. It makes you wonder. A picture may still be worth a thousand words, but what about that old saying, the camera never lies? The camera does nothing but lie. (laughs) Cameras don't lie. People lie. Or something like that, I guess. I feel like, yeah, camera tricks have been the oldest thing around since cameras were invented and uh, films. I think about all the spooky, old-timey ghost pictures that people used to take. And they would be just tricks of exposure. Back when they had the um, those oiled-up glass sheets. Yeah, and what was it? It was some sort of, like, silver compound, right, that they would uh, ignite. Right. And it would it would basically burn an impression onto a glass plate, and uh, and then you could take that same glass plate and then do it again and reimpose more images over it if you did it the right way. So that's that was one way that you could get you know spooky ghost pictures of you know people half people looking in through the window as someone sits in the chair. Shit, you can even ghost people out of photos, make them disappear like they were never even there. Yep, and that seems to be the main thing that these, uh, you know, you want to get rid of certain people. That's that's. I love that that's the meme with Stalin. Like, in the 21st century, everybody remembers Joe Stalin as the guy who photoshopped people out of photos. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Hitler didn't do that. Hitler, I mean, this this is the idea, right, is that Hitler went and hired these great, uh, directors and that one uh, female, that great female German director to catch all this stuff and like, sure he'd have guys knocked off, but he wouldn't Photoshop them out of like pictures of him at the in the early days. But Stalin's like, nah, this guy never existed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really funny. Oh man. Well, I uh, just wanted to share that video. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, it's very neat to see how far that technology has come, and uh, glad to know that there's still people wondering how you can misuse it. <laughs> Everything can be weaponized, right? Yep. Right? Right. Right. Um, so, my final topic for tonight, it's about a, a musical, or an opera. Mm. And this is not just any opera. I'm going to send you a photo in the chat and I want you to tell me if you can guess who this actor is in the photo it's a man with a I mean just a clownish amount of uh, white face paints and uh, sort of red styled hair is it uh, Michael C. Hall no 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 is it that's a man you said yes 
Is it Willem? Yes. Uh This is uh, <clears throat> the one and only Willem Dafoe. Of course, you know him from, uh, where is it? You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. <laughs> and this music, this opera musical biography piece is called The Life and Death of Marina Abramovic. Mmm. Of spirit cooking fame. Yes, of spirit cooking fame. Famously, there was a DNC leaked, leaked email and, uh, I forget if it was Podesta's or who, whoever it was, they were discussing an event. It was Podesta. Okay. Uh, it was an event that Marina was hosting called Spirit Cooking, where it's sort of these quasi acts of cannibalism, um, mixed with quote unquote real food. And, uh, it's very, very occulty. It's very graphic and visceral because they're, you know, trying to emulate the human flesh being consumed. And, um, <laughs> Satan, the devil, it's, uh, you know, it's as a performance artist, you know, she's, she definitely knows how to, uh, uh, catch people's attention, but I got a couple of, um, this is a podcast called around Broadway, uh, that's put on by WQXR radio. And, uh, here's a brief synopsis of the show. It's time to go around Broadway with Charles Isherwood, theater critic of the New York Times. The Life and Death of Marina Abramovich at the Park Avenue Armory through this Saturday is a biographical pageant about the performance artist of the title. It's a collaboration between that artist and several other luminaries from the worlds of theater, music, and film, an unusual presentation. The production is directed by the Robert Wilson, the well-known director of opera and theater, Antony of Antony and the Johnsons appears and wrote the music, and the actor Willem Dafoe also has a prominent role. All right. So, sorry. Like you said, luminaries. There's a, that? there's a lot of like weird kind of coded words in and around this, uh, uh, this opera, uh, when it comes to different reviews and people discussing the show. They're so saucing it up. It's, the the Broadway crew is so bizarre. They're such a bizarre crew. <laughs> just the most strange, elitist, entitled, but also just like happy-go-lucky, singing and dancing into a dystopia with eyes wide open, eyes wide shut. Now, uh, this next clip, it gets into a little bit about the, the style and the length of the show. Tell me... If you can name which actor this dude reminds me of, he, excuse me, you would find him in a Tim Burton film. And uh, just let me know who, if you know who it sounds like. Charles, the title of this show suggests some sort of unusual take on the biographical drama. Is that what happens in this program? Well, it is a little hard to describe. I would say it's much more a Robert Wilson production than a, a Marina Abramovich production. It's more a series of tableau or vignettes derived from her life or inspired by her work. It's very Wilsonian in the sense that, uh, you know, there are beautiful stage pictures, the glacial movement, uh, the vampirish makeup. But, of course, the story is drawn from her life. 
what is Marina Abramovich's role? Well, she appears in several different guises when you enter the theater, uh, the drill <laughs> hall, actually. There are three women on stage posed on coffins. She's one of them. There, for some reason, the number three, I think, has mystical significance for her. Later, she comes oh, back with her, her mother, <laughs> who is apparently a very... What's that? <laughs> yes, uh, I guess three means... I, I don't know anything about it, though. I wouldn't know anything about it, you know? <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, here it is. Well, something like that. Write this one out. Later, she comes back portraying her mother who is apparently a very domineering and uh, disapproving influence. And uh, at various other points, she basically plays herself, enacting scenes from her life or talking about her work. She is known primarily for performances of long duration and very few words. <laughs> long that would duration. fit the Robert Wilson aesthetic. Is that what we are treated to in this production? Well, it's uh, you know only three hours long, actually shorter than three hours, which is really a tiny blip compared to, uh, you know... <laughs> the usual there, Robert Wilson... Yes, trip. or for that matter, the Abramovich uh, method. But there is God. obviously much more language in the show, which is mostly delivered by Willem Dafoe, actually. Now, uh... The person Willem that I, do you have any idea about the uh, the actor makes me remind or reminds me of who the, who the actor Willem Dafoe reminds you of the sound of this man talking oh this guy yeah uh, other than Nosferatu <laughs> close <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me of fucking Ortho from uh, Beetlejuice remember the <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, uh he's the guy that sounds like this. <laughs> and she walks into the stage. And she's got three causes. I fucking just cannot stand these fucking Broadway guys, man. Just uh, not that there's nothing to do with anything other than they're just they're they're greasy. Mm. You know? Just ooze grease. Now, a little context on some of the performances that they mentioned. They, um, they, you know, they said like, "Oh, this one has a lot more language in it than other performances." Uh, Marina Abramovic did a show called "The Artist Is Present." It was a seven hundred hour silent performance where she spent time one on one with people. Uh, they would line up overnight in the lobby of the Museum of Modern Art, and um, if I'm not mistaken, it was set up in such a way that they could do say or. Um, they, they pretty much had carte blanche to behave towards Marina in any capacity that they wanted to. Oh, so they did some, uh, some Osho shit. They did some, uh, you know, the guys that went out to Oregon and made a cult and poisoned everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what they, that was their whole thing. We're going to, for 10 minutes, you get to do whatever you want. You get to scream and you get to fuck and you get to do whatever you want. And that that's her thing now. Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to say Robert Wilson did a multiple day-long performance. Um, sadly, I don't think I actually saved that information. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I guess they are known for doing incredibly long performance pieces. And uh, you know how they were commenting on um, on the three coffins, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if I can find. Uh, so the audience would walk into the house for this performance life uh life and death of marina 
they would walk into the house with three marinas, two in mask and, and one is actually her on stage portraying her death while a newspaper obituary for Abramovic was left in every seat. So really, uh, really, really getting into the death aspect of Marina with this show. Yeah. Cause they called the life and death of, of her and she, she's not dead. So that's obviously a statement there's there. She's making a statement about mortality or about her being dead or whatever. Uh, so here's my here's my last three clip. hours, <laughs> three fucking hours. You know we have th- <sighs> anyway. So this last clip, uh, the only reason I pulled this one is I thought the celebrity clout was a pretty fun shout out. And so mm-hmm. where does Defoe come into this thing? Well, he's sort of the ringmaster narrator. He sort of interrogates Marina Abramovich at various points, but also gives a lot of descriptions of various highlights of her life. It's very fragmentary text, though. It's not uh, linear, as you would expect. I mean, this is a very uh, highbrow approach to the biographical play. And what contributions does Anthony of Anthony and the Johnsons make? He sings several songs that he's written especially for the show. Inspired by her life, uh, they're not really directly related to anything specific. Uh, he sings beautifully, he has that wonderful, fluttery, ethereal voice, and he's sort of made up to look like another Marina Abramovich. So at some point, <laughs> there are several of them on stage. Does the show seem designed to appeal more to the performance art crowd or for adventurous theater goers? Well, I think Abramovich has now become sort of a uh, cross-cultural celebrity. I mean, she hangs out with Jay-Z <laughs> and Lady Gaga, so her fame has sort of moved beyond the performance art sphere. So she does have a lot of admirers, and I think that's who it's basically uh, aimed at, and they seemed very enthusiastic at the night I saw it. So that's the that's the rubric for, like, well, she's a god now because she, she hangs out with Jay-Z and Beyonce. And Lady Gaga. And Lady Gaga. So she's a god now. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Well, she's not the queen, because that saved her what's-her-face I've already forgotten about from a couple weeks ago. Um, oh, God, she was in that Don't Look Up movie. She played the president. Oh, Streep. Yes, Meryl Streep. She's no Meryl Streep. <laughs> Marina Abramovic is no Meryl Streep. Well, Meryl Streep's in a league of her own. I mean, I will give Meryl that. Like, she's just going on acting creds alone. I mean, personality aside, I mean, obviously, I don't agree at all with her politically. But yeah, she's been in so many fucking movies, you know. It's like. They are, you know, this is, Meryl Streep's no Meryl Streep, as Sir Bemrose once said. Let's see. Uh, so this... Uh, Abramovich, though, this lady, uh, this, this soul-cooking thing, which ties to everybody, and again, it, it, with the Podesta stuff and the Pizzagate thing, she was tied to the these sorts of just kind of like sick, twisted parties that these guys would throw which were just very bizarre. Like the Podestas had all this art with all these kids being mutilated and molested. And yes, uh, the the art is such a a huge, huge tale in my humble, uh, mostly informed opinion. I I agree. I think art is a, is a very important anchor in, in a certain class of people that participates at this level. Art is like, art is very fucking shady industry. Full of laundering and fraud and, <laughs> and just, you know, tax evasion and all kinds of shit. It's, it's, that's where the elites hang. That's where they dwell. 
Now, do you have any interest in listening to the trailer for it? I mean, they got some experts, uh, excerpts from the, the opera. Um, if, if you wanted to hear them, I'll, I'll kind of leave it up to your yeah, discretion. Sure. I can, I can hear a little bit of it. Sure. Why not? All right. You let me know when you're good. Hold two, three. Ah. All right. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> So from uh, from Robert Wilson's website, uh, this gentleman was born in Waco, Texas. He spends a lot of he's he's he his credits and awards is it's quite a long list. He's been around for for a minute. Um, but, Robert Wilson sounds familiar. He he actually did a lot of work with uh, Tom Waits. He's done oh. a couple of pieces with him. Um, and I, you see the the Tom Waits Broadway guy. Yes, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I've got featured closer to the bottom of the show notes page. I've got a link to his past productions and just a, on a cursory look, uh, based off of his uh, his style and the way that he's framing these scenes. I'm I'm a huge fan. I I think this uh, the I guess the aesthetic. Or the just the the temperature on stage. It's something that I find very appealing when it mm-hmm. comes from an artistic uh, point of view. Like there's this one of Macbeth, uh, which I don't know if it's bad luck to say Macbeth on a podcast. If anybody has any information on that, let I me know. I have to say, I've said I've said Macbeth on plenty of performances and productions. So, oh, I and nothing, do it. nothing bad's ever happened to me. What's the worst that could happen, etc. I had someone say it, uh, someone that was volunteering at a little community uh, theater, and as soon as she as soon as she said Macbeth, I had four lights blow at the same Whoa. time. And this was a theater that did not have the budget to buy new lamps for the fixtures. So I was like, "Well, I guess uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to go without these four lights out of what twelve or whatever it was, eleven maybe." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, make do. That's see. That's why you don't say it. Say the Scottish play. The Scottish play, yes. But uh, he, he's got some uh, some some images from that particular show. I, I think it's uh, some really stunning stage pictures. You know, not to get too hoity toity about it. Um, also, in that uh, particular production of the Scottish play, there's a black sun sighting. So some uh, Saturnian. Um, remnants hanging out in, in multiple locations so far this episode. So getting back to the actual life and death of Marina Abramovic, uh, where was I? This is from Robert Wilson's website premiered at the Manchester international festival in 2011, uh, played to sold out audiences and rave reviews in Madrid, Basel, Antwerp, Amsterdam, uh, Toronto and New York. And for the New York production of it at Park Avenue Armory, Robert Wilson created a new staging that used the full sweep of the Wade Thompson Drill Hall, which I'm not quite sure exactly what the Park Avenue Armory looks like. Uh, Just one of the pieces of information that I had found, it was a uh, 55,000 square foot facility. So I'm not Hmm. sure. I'm not sure if the stage as a whole took up a majority of that part of it. Um. I'm not quite sure. I guess uh, part of uh, Bob Wilson's aesthetic is to create these huge sort of like 
almost uh, over-consuming set pieces that just swallow the not only the people on the stage, but the people in the house watching the performance. Hmm. They made it work. Yep. Um, here's an interesting... This guy sounds like the man. I mean, it, just from what I'm hearing, this guy sounds like he's a, a genuine uh, badass. It's Robert Wilson guy. The um we'll uh, we'll come back to uh Robert here in a little bit. Um I've got one of those other magic phrases for you. Uh from variety of all places, quote, Abramovic remains mercurial behind thick commedia della tarte uh makeup. Commedia dell'arte. Commedia dell'arte makeup. Mercurial. <laughs> mercurial, ooh. Yeah. You wanna talk nice. about a, a fucking piece of alchemy right there uh so yeah um getting into some other uh just odds and ends from what people have said about this the guardian they started off their argue their article by stating quote most performers try to avoid dying a death on stage <laughs> what? dying a death on stage is Willem like that Willem's like nah I, I try to survive every night he's, he's sitting there reading this the script he's like my character dies? No, I don't think my character dies. No, listen, really. My character does not die. Are you listening to me? Look at me. Look at me. I'm the one not dying now. Yeah, uh, he, he would love to die. <laughs> Willem, well, he's down for anything. Willem Dafoe well, you, will do anything. So you have a history with performance. Like, have you ever encountered somebody that was like, no, I, I, I just, I will not accept any roles where the character dies? Uh... I have never met an actor. I mean, not somebody who I'd actually consider an actor, but I mean, only a moron would, who actually wants to be an actor for a living would, would have that mindset (laughs) or somebody who's ludicrously famous and has gotten to that point. And I don't know anyone like that either. I'm Meryl Um, Streep. I can't die. I know, I know, a, I know one Broadway star, and I know a couple people who are on TV occasionally, and that's about the limit of famous people I know. And then I kind of know Will Forte, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's it. So I guess, uh, I guess Marina has a strong hatred of the theater. Uh, she's not a fan of studios because uh, she finds them to be very limiting, and that's sort of one of the... You know what? Sorry to interrupt you, but I just thought of something. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Oh, you're good. But I just realized, in most of the shows I was ever in, I died. Oh. And a lot of the shows, I was the bad guy. And I mm. died. <laughs> and some of my favorite shows I ever did, and probably the most popular show that I ever did in the city... I died. And not only did I die, I got ripped apart in a brutal, gruesome way. And I got voted like best death scene of San Francisco or something. Oh shit. Because they, <laughs> they gutted me alive and they, they played catch with my innards and they cut my dick off and they threw it into the crowd. And it was like, that was the whole thing. You know? Oh my God. I love it. It was great. It's beautiful. <laughs> Uh, just to wrap up on that Guardian article, I, I'm I'm starting to wonder if maybe Guardians are the ones that are morons. Uh, it's still the jury's still out. Um, they describe it as uh, the show. Uh, there are moments that will stay with you forever. Others that simply seem to take too long. 
As always, the question with the Bromovix projects has to be, why? And, as ever, the answer seems to be, because. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, The oldest reason in the book. Oh, my God. Uh, So this is uh, one of six biographical pieces that Marina has put out, um, but this one in particular is more of a biography about her psyche. Um, the uh, One of the big themes, I, I'm still looking for a copy of this. I would like to see it. Um, I just, I haven't been able to find anything uh, through my searches yet, but um, Journey's still out. Why did I say that again? I don't need to say that again. So I'm still looking for a copy. If anybody sees this around, let me know. I would love to check it out. Um, like we heard earlier, she plays her mother and she, at one point she's removing, uh, the mother's mask and it's her on the underside and or her inside of the mask. And, uh, you know, her mother, her family was a very abusive situation, not only in real life, but in this performance. Um, I think they describe it as her mother uses a, uses Marina, young Marina as a shield against her father. And one of his abusive uh, tirades. And um, it takes place in communist Yugoslavia. So uh, at one point in the show, soldiers assemble with sirens and bullhorns spouting, quote, an artist should not repeat himself. An artist should not overproduce. An artist must not steal ideas from another artist. Those are all wrong things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, I do, I do see where, you know, cause it's, it's fucking communists and they're like, you gotta just enjoy the state art. You don't want to do anything new. Um, so I get that sort of op- oppressiveness. Oh, that reminds me, we didn't actually talk about, uh, her. She hates the theater. She hated the theater up until this point. Well, everybody hates theater until it's your show. Uh, she stated one time that theater is too fake in comparison to performance art. She decided that performing in this play is the best way to reflect her life without being overly personal. Um, she uh, <laughs> she must be making so much money on this. Well, this is not Broadway shows are cash cows. We've talked about this on the show before. Would you would you go watch her masturbate in front of a crowd? No, I wouldn't. But they're like. There are like 2,000 people in New York who make over $500,000 a year who will go and do that like once every two months. They'll be like, oh, yeah. Tonight, tonight, we're going to go see Abramovich masturbate <laughs> blood all over our children in well, the coffin. you had the chance in Guggenheim in 2005. <laughs> Guggenheim? The Guggenheim? In Guggenheim, I barely know her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Oh man! Oh yes! <laughs> Vanderbilt hardly know her built. <laughs> Hallelujah! A woman. A woman. Oh, I'm looking for the specific quote where she's talking about uh, theater. For her, isn't real theater until there's actual knives on stage. That was a great quote. Mm. Seem to have lost it somewhere. Hit that, hit that one more time. Uh, she's so she's got this tirade about hating being or ha- hating theater in general because it is 
the antithesis it's fake. to it's, it's yes exactly yeah. it's all fake compared to what she does which is like this really avant-garde seven hour performance art thing where she intimately goes around and touches everyone and spoon feeds them someone's placenta i get that but what about the broadway money though so so somebody talked to her somebody gave her a phone call jay-z gave her a phone call yes uh and funny enough it was the uh complex which is another internet trash magazine uh, they also mention or name drop Jay Z, uh, who she danced with during the rapper's Picasso Baby performance piece, and uh, also mention mm-hmm. uh, the recent collaboration with uh, her so creepy. Lady Holy Gaga. <laughs> and then they worded, "Now she's buddies with Kim Kardashian. <laughs> she's Kim. She's Marina, <laughs> and we're spirit cooking." Well, I suppose uh, now we should hear from the lady of the hour herself, and this is uh, this is at the launch of the opera, and they they call it. I, I've been calling it an opera, but it's technically a quasi opera, but it may be more of a twisted musical. It's a rock opera. <laughs> it's rock opera. <laughs> yeah. Just to tell you a little bit how this uh, life and death of Marina Bramovich begin. Beginning in 87, I uh, worked together with Charles Atlas on staging my own life as a theater piece. Until that point, I really hated passionately theater. Theater was something really bad. It was a black box. It was, you know, people playing things that are not themselves. The real knife is not real knife. The blood is not the blood. And everything different than performance art, which I'm so... The real knife, the real blood. But then I was thinking it would be interesting to stage my life um, and to see how that works from different side. (laughs) Yes, front side, back side. Evergreen Suez Canal. <laughs> Suez Canal, uh, Panama Canal. Uh, we both need both canal, you know. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll skip over this next set in the, or this next clip in the set. I mean, it gets into a little bit of, about how the music came around. Um, there's a lot of Serbian traditional music influence in this. Um, and they keep talking about Anthony and the, uh, God, the name slips of me, slips my, not, uh, my mind, but there's some other, sort of avant-garde singer that's associated with this. He did part of the music. Is it Bjork? No, it's not Bjork and it's not Lord either. Or Randy okay. Marsh. Uh, it's not Randy Marsh. Okay, just checking. I will play the third one, however, because it details a little bit of how much of a boss William Defoe is. Oh, he's the man. For a long, long time, I want to work with Bob Wilson for so many different reasons. Uh, you know, I respect his work. I really like the, the, how he created the image of the light, the, the, his special relation to time and so on. So we decided to do this, this uh, life and death of Marina Bramovic. We start with funeral. We go through my life and childhood, and we finish with funeral again. So life between two funerals. And then there was important thing, you know, how we create the music, who is going to be the person. And, uh, you know, there's one angel voice, and this was the only one I needed to, to, to really work with. And he said yes, which was wonderful, and this was Anthony Johnson's. So Anthony created nine songs for this piece. And not only did he create nine songs, but he also wanted me to sing. And I don't have feeling for music. So I get the teacher, I went there, she listened to my voice, and she said to me, okay, it's going to be very difficult, but it's not impossible. <laughs> 
All right, I fucked up. That was the actual second clip there. Um, sorry about that. Here's what I meant to play. And we have William Defoe. So William Defoe have lots of experience, not just acting in, in, the, in the film industry, but also in the theater, working with the Wooster Group and some other theater production. So he got really serious into all this. So he's not only have, as a narrator of the piece, but he also learned to speak Slavic, which is like insane. My own accent, as you hear me now. So he's doing very well in this thing. And this whole thing is going to travel in different places. Most important is Madrid, Teatro Real. So if you think it's a king theater, all plish and gold and queen and king come there, and they, they're going to be confronted with something that is not exactly the traditional theater. So I hope for the best, and I hope you come. Thank you. <laughs> Challenges the king and queen. <laughs> come check out my show. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. <laughs> you ain't ready, son. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> repping this. Yeah, it, she, she's from Serbia, right? Uh, yes, or Yugoslavia. Or is it Yugoslavia? I think it's Yugoslavia. Somebody posted, I think, uh, uh, oh, they posted, they, uh, Servo posted the Ask Me Anything, uh, from Marina Abramovich, uh, from Reddit. But, uh, I, I'm not to rep too hard on Willem Dafoe, but goddamn, Willem Dafoe is like the perfect actor in the sense that, he will just, he will commit. He will do anything. He will, and not in like a weird, creepy Jared Leto way where he'll like lose a thousand pounds and only eat almonds and like, so that he can play a heroin addict or something like he, Willem will, you know, he'll learn, he'll learn Serbian. He'll learn <laughs> fucking different language and, and he's a hella nice guy. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Willem Dafoe. That was great. Okay, great. And it's like, well, Willem, you're going to play a uh, hermaphrodite demon that uh, only feasts on the fears of children. <laughs> and Willem's like, well, okay, I guess I can do it. And he just gets into it, man. And like, that's what he becomes. And he runs around. He just doesn't. And, and then he takes off the costume. And he's like, well, all right, great day. Can't wait to work with you again. Yeah. Fucking guy's the man. Well, Everything he's in, he's great. There's that scene on uh, American Psycho where he's grilling Patrick Bateman and they filmed oh. it in three different, you know, he's got three different responses where he's got no idea that Bateman's the killer. He's got his suspicions and that he's got, he's like, he's confirmed it. He knows it inside of his head and they ended up splicing all these different reactions that Defoe had in the scene. <laughs> so you're all over the place. Yeah. I always forget he's the, he's the detective in there, the cop or whatever. Do uh, Eastberg oh, for that and uh, and Boondock, uh, Boondock Saints, Boondock Saints, yeah, Boondock Saints is a is a funny movie because it he was the biggest star in that movie when it first came out. Yeah, yeah. Now the other guy is is massive. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Norman Norman Remus or whatever his name is. Uh, he's a big star because of uh, that stupid zombie show, but. Fucking Willem Dafoe just dominated that movie. He donkey dicked that movie. He was like, oh, Boondock Saints, I'm the only star. We're in this $50,000 low budget whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to commit to it anyway. And I'm going to like do my damnedest. But I'm Willem fucking Dafoe. I, I, I can have my own with this character. And that character was so over the top. Only he could play that character. Where he dresses up as the hooker and all that shit. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> Oh my god! Do uh do, do you have any interest in listening to anything that Defoe's got to say about being in this production? Oh sure, yeah. All right, here's our first one. 
Marina Abramovich is a Serbian performance artist and it's really taking some of her biographical information and um, making a performance out of it. For me, the piece is very much about a woman that had a very tough life and through her art, she made something beautiful. She not only made a beautiful life, but she um, inspired a lot of people and, um, you know, uh, challenged the way of thinking. Anthony Hegarty of Anthony and the Johnsons did the music. I admired both of their work. It's very much a Bob Wilson show. He plays a lot with um, light and space. The performance style is very artificial and very elevated, very designed. It should be very beautiful to look at, and it should be evocative. And there's a lot of actual like slapstick gags in this. Mm-hmm. And they go to slap somebody and they got the wood blocks there. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we'll do a little, uh, yeah. Actual slapstick. When you say Commedia dell'arte and she has the Commedia uh, makeup, that's, they, they're probably drawing from a lot of classic European theater uh, inspirations that are probably very pre- prevalent where she's from. No doubt. Uh, that's great. Uh, you know what? Again, even when he was talking about it just now, it didn't. It really, he didn't really sound like he was like into it. You know what I mean? Like he talks about Maria in a very professional way. Like she's made some art. It's it inspired very, some people. It was a very PR, very uh, a very interviewed scene. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's it, this is uh, this comes from that, the though. Holland Festival 2012. They did an interview with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some stuff about him talking about Bob Wilson's directing style. And, uh, or do you perhaps want to hear what makes Defoe tick as an actor? Ooh, I want to hear that. My role in it is very much as sort of a, I, I hesitate to say narrate, narrator, but I have almost all the text in the story. And I go in and out of the story. I become characters and then I also stand outside of it. Every night when I sing this song, partly thanks to how Anthony told me to approach it, it goes to the heart of performing because every night I reanimate it. I function best when the heat is turned up on me a little bit, where I feel a little off balance, I feel a little threatened, I'm a little scared. It's hard to find that truly those situations. You can sort of approximate it and, and fool yourself into thinking you're doing something risky, but to make it really deep, deeply risky and keep on going back to a challenge is hard, so you have to trick yourself. But I've noticed that when I trick myself, and I really think, wow, I don't know how to do this, or I don't know what this is, or, or this is scary. Whenever I'm in that place, usually it's more satisfying than when I say, wow, this is really something that I know how to do, and I'm really going to enjoy doing it. First jealousy attack. Hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like his mentality. He's got a good mentality. Yeah. It's, uh, there's something that I have that's sort of similar. It's like, uh, you know, if you're ever feeling nervous about doing a, doing a, 
uh, a show of any capacity, the uh, the nervousness means that you care, that you got some stake in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's if you work in in performance art, even you know as as a technician, but especially as a performer, that's part of your life. Is like every performance, you're going to be nervous. Every time you go out, you're going to be nervous, and it's just overcoming that nervousness. It kind of becomes part of the thrill of doing it, you know. Right. It's an adrenaline high that you get, and it's something that you share with other people, and so it's a communal thing. It's a very addictive lifestyle being an artist uh if you're if you're up for poverty <laughs> it's a very addictive lifestyle uh but you know what this reminded me of too of willem dafoe at the oscars i don't know if you saw this but this must have been maybe the oscars of 2021 which i believe was in february or march or maybe even may Okay. forget exactly when the Oscars are, but this was in 2021, and there was the Oscars, and Willem Dafoe was there, and he was, like, you know, in the front table, and they did this bit about vaccines. And at the Oscars, everybody came out in, like, needle costumes. Shut the you remember fuck this? up. No. Everybody came out in, like, needle costumes, and they had, like, big blow-up, like, needles in their hands. Oh, my God. And they all... <laughs> I gotta, I gotta find this footage. I was, I was kind of looking for it just offhand to see if they had a pick, but it, it must be hard to find. But all these guys came out and they danced around all these stars and they did like a musical bit about getting vaccinated. And they went around and they, and then they went into the audience and they went into to the tables and they started doing little jab motions with their big inflated needles. And I remember Willem Dafoe. I remember this very vividly. <laughs> These guys go up and they start dancing and they start mock jabbing Willem Dafoe. And he gets genuinely freaked the fuck out. <laughs> and he's like leaning way back. He's scared. He's smiling in a very panicked way. And he's like, whoa, get the fuck away from me. He's got this look on his face. Oh my and God. I, 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 <laughs> 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 You've got to find that clip. Oh man, yeah, kind of like the Stephen Colbert dance servo, exactly like where the the these guys came out with in these needle outfits, started dancing around. Like this is the this is the Broadway mentality. Is like instead of questioning this thing, and instead of you know objectively looking at all these ways that it's harming our world and the way that it obstructs our uh values and our rights and the way that it erodes our way of living and all this shit instead of thinking about any of that it doesn't matter none of that matters all that matters is that you're just trying to do your part and if you don't get that well then by god we're going to make a song and dance number that's going to show you that you just need to do your part and just smile and dance and fucking do what you're told <laughs> That's the whole fucking mentality. <laughs> fucking sing and dance and do what the fuck you're told. Yeah. Now, um, I have I have another bonus video. We're kind of getting strapped for time here, but mm. <laughs> I found synchronistic synchronistically enough, um, James Franco. 
interviewed Marina Abramovic. Whoa, the James Franco. 2009. <laughs> Who, by the way, has been erased. He's been photoshopped out of the picture. Yes. Seth yes. Rogen and Jonah Hill are photoshopping James Franco out of all of their pictures and movies. Yeah. Pineapple Express was a single guy movie. It was just Seth Rogen in that. Um, do you have any interest in checking this out? Yes. All right. So here's a uh, here's the intro. She's going to make him dessert. Hi. Took you so long time. You're in bed in bad shape. Come. <laughs> Hi. I'm James Franco. Um, I'm an actor in uh, films. Uh, but we're here to meet a different kind of performer, uh, Marina Abramovic. And some people describe her as the grandmother of performance art. But tonight, I think she's going to make me some dessert. <laughs> no, no. Oh, the timidness. <laughs> she changed his name to uh, James Evergiven. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. So, um. Was he on the boat? Well. He's on a boat now, that's for sure. <laughs> so this uh, this next clip, it's a pretty good one because it gets into a little bit about what Marina can't stand about the theater. Outside of there being no knives or no real blood. Tell me about how you got into performance art. Because originally you started in painting, right? Yeah, yeah. But then... You focused it in on the body, I yeah, think, yeah, in, a, yeah. in a way. I started working with the body. And the moment I really done live performance with my body, this experience changed everything. I could never go to studio. To me, it was like impossible to... I hate studio to start with. Studio is the, is the trap. A studio is the worst place the artist should never be. Hmm. The art comes from life, not from studio. Hmm. And in, in my head, what it reminded me of when she said black box, right? Like a black box studio. It's a type of theater. It's a very small SRO, standing room only sort of dealio, right? Mm-hmm. Which would in itself be another black cube, right? You're just on the inside rather than looking out from the outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So another Which little- would be her popular form of theater because she's, when she's talking about theater, she's talking about her upbringing. She's from a poor background. Theater in a poor background is a black box theater. That's that's what theater is at the highest level. You have a, a room that's painted black, and you get chairs in there, and that's what theater is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, black box theaters are my favorite. That's uh, my some of the best oh. t- best times I've had on a show is in spaces like that. Me too. I've, some of my favorite shows I've ever done was in a black box, and then the one show that I wrote and directed was in a black box. Oh, hell yeah. So clip three here, uh, (laughs) this one's just got sort of a bittersweet taste to it because way back in 2009, she had a little bit of CDC says. Now, I'm not saying that she actually says, quote, CDC says, but uh, she's got some medical advice that I don't know if the mainstream science would necessarily let fly. So what you have to do is to peel with me these almonds. Okay. How did you get into food? Uh, no, this is not the food. This is meditation. When I went to, you know, monasteries, I learned there when you're doing the long retreats and no food eating, you have to make in one point this golden ball. So I had one of your desserts before, or it was yes. a prototype. 
It was prototype, and I didn't like it. Okay, you didn't like it, but there was gold. Yes, now we got gold too. Can you tell me what the significance of eating gold so is? What I learned in the old cultures, the gold being given to the infants when they are nine months old, seven months old, mm-hmm. they mix them with the honey and they give them to the children because they say that the gold will actually be absorbed by the brain. It's a brain food. <laughs> mm. Fascinating. Honey, so important in so many different cultures, eh? Yeah, but uh, I think she's actually talking about um, literal leaves of gold. Ooh. Really? CDC says eating gold is good for your brain. It's brain food. It's the new brain food. That's the supplements that we should start selling. Gold capsules from behind the schemes. Hmm. <laughs> well, I believe that gold is around what? Uh, <clears throat> last time I checked, it was about 1,200 an ounce. Let's see. Gold spot pipes. Spot pipes. Gold spot price. Oh my God! What am I? Where? Am, what drugs am I doing? It's at eighteen hundred. My bad. Eighteen hundred an ounce. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look at the movement on that real quick, actually. Oh, I just asked Gal using Wolfram. Uh I don't use Wolfram nearly enough with Gal. Eighteen or yeah, eighteen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars an ounce. God damn. So we'll just buy one, and that's a coin. So there'll just be one coin, right? So you get one gold coin for, oh, and that's including fees and everything, about two grand. And then you eat it. <laughs> well, I would imagine that the leaf would be a lot. Um, it wouldn't be nearly as heavy as an ounce. Mm. Or we're talking real thin sheets of gold here now, right? Well, gold leaf, yeah, that's... Yeah, I know people that use gold leaf in uh, art. So you can I mean, do some nice art. stuff with it. You can do some really nice stuff with it. Yeah, yeah. I've been to uh, a lot of the Fox Theaters, which is a chain of theaters across the, the states. They There's some places where they've got gold leaf in the walls. Uh, I think the Oriental, or it used to be the Oriental in Chicago, its name has changed. I think it's the Nederlander now. Um, the Nederlander. I've been to the Nederlander. In Chicago? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't remember gold leaf in the wall. Yeah. yeah. I was very drunk. Oh, dude, you know, uh, Sir Bimmers, I actually had this idea. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. We should buy some gold schlager, dry it out, and collect all the gold leaf, and then we can put that into a capsule equals cash payday. Well, if the gold is already in the gold schlager and gold is brain food... Should we just drink the Goldschlager? <laughs> the official beverage of behind the schemes. <laughs> I would say no. No, 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 no. What is the official? Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Probably cider, actually, sadly enough. Uh, moonshine? Moonshine's another. I've never had shine on the show. Oh, we got to change that. <laughs> we need to make shine. We need to have our behind the schemes shine. Behind the shine. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> Beshine the schemes. Uh, so All my, right, enough of that. My next clip is uh, it, uh, James ends up asking Marina what it takes to make her art. And uh, I don't think this art is necessarily coming out of a happy place. I um, 
went to lots of retreats in, in India because I think when I do performance art, I have to learn how I can um, kind of uh, control my body. First, I have to be afraid of, and I have to be like completely terrorized, and, and then I know I'm going, I have to do it. I mean, nobody ever been changed of doing things they like. I always do things I don't like. Because things you don't like, you things you're afraid of, the things is unknown. That's really what the interesting stuff mm-hmm. becomes. Smell. The incredible. Yeah. What is it? Fresh cardamom. So put this in, all of this. Fresh so cardamom. Crash it. Okay. And, uh, you know, her answer... Uh, so they it, start railing lines of cardamom? <laughs> I don't... What is it? Cardamom, it's a spice. Okay. I figured. It's raw. I mean, he's got the, the metal uh, porter... Petal and uh, mortar. Mortar and pestle. Pestle, and yes. They're just you. grinding up some fresh fucking cardamom. Yes. Shit, I got grand cardamom in my fucking cupboard. I'll, I'll... Yeah, anyway, yeah, sounds good. That's but uh, it, uh, it definitely echoes what Willem Dafoe was saying about uh, being scared and going into performance, and that's going to get you the highest quality of product. So it could be one reason why he was so drawn to this particular performance. Sure. I could see the draw, especially if you aren't super into all of the, I mean, you and I are like hypersensitive to all this stuff that we talk about. If you're not, then this is actually kind of just fun and edgy shit. This is like, oh, we get to eat a cake shaped like a person. And this lady's actually really cool. And she has fun things to say. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's an artist. She's very wise. She's She's got all these things to talk about from this incredible history, this incredible life she's had. I mean, she has had an incredible life. But... um it's just a sinister element to it, of course. Yes, I would agree. Uh, and, you know, if uh, Dean Reiner had a breakdown explaining the connections between the word sinister and the left-hand path, it's very it's very interesting. Um, it's very interesting. And she was also, uh, she did something with uh, Bill Gates last year, 2020. Mm-hmm. There was some big collaboration that escapes my mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this last one, um, we get into a little bit of conversation about magic. Um, and some of it is, uh, like natural occurrences of, uh, of, of, of happenings. I love your work because it's a, it's, it's kind of different and foreign to what I do. And it's very fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm drawn to that in, and it has, you know, vitality because of that. And you also told me that when you are performing, you can do things that normally you can't do. The moment when you really get into that kind of performative space, you are leaving your low self and you're transforming into your higher self. I just can say higher self. Some, some kind of strange thing take place. And this higher self is the, is the all energy you have you put into that. And then when the really thing happen, whatever circumstances are there, you have to accept them and then let it go. And that, that idea plays into all your performance. Yeah. Why? Because there is a certain amount of uncertainty... Yeah, because yeah. everything what happened in that period can be earthquake, can be the electricity stop. Everything's part of the piece because you can't predict it. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Now. So now you're going to do your gold. Put your ball in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then rub the gold around the ball. Look at that. And now I want you to eat. And close your eyes. 
I think it's very important to close eyes because it's really, then you're there. And then eat it slowly and just really feel the texture and the taste. Thank you, Maria. James Franco, <laughs> the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, he's, he's with the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal. And uh, I'd say he had a he had a little bit of a O face going there. because uh, he's into it. And they get they get duped. It kind of reminds me of like the uh, the magnetic uh, uh, bracelet. You remember that? Mm, the slap bracelet. No, no, not the not the literal <laughs> magnetic bracelet, the slap bracelet too. That oh, one, but, uh, yeah, I the, know. What you're like on. you know what I mean? Yeah, the, it was like it balances out your electromagnetic, uh, you know, whatever. I, I just like wearing them because I like magnets. <laughs> well, yeah, magnets are cool. <laughs> but this whole thing just sounds like a, a a present being present piece, which I know that the LA types love. Love, love to they'll they'll pay extra top dollar for. This is this is the hypocrisy of LA, um, and, and just of that type of person. It's like what they want. It's the old story about the man in the boat who's fishing, and the guy comes up to him and says, "You know, you should get a job." And he says, "Why? I'm perfectly happy. I'm just sitting here fishing and enjoying my day." And he's like, "Well, you should get a job so that you can get a retirement account so that you can." Save up one day, bit by bit, and then when you're 65 years old, you can retire and you can get a nice fishing boat, and you can come out here and you can fish anytime you want. <laughs> and the guy's like, "But I'm fishing now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is like the this is the idea behind her being like, "Try this spice. I'm going to wrap it up in gold leaf, and we're going to have this whole ambiance of what we're doing, and then oh, you're going to have the super." super spiritual ethereal experience by eating this dirt that's wrapped in gold. Yeah. She's and just, she's practicing a little bit of alchemy, a little bit of alchemy and just a little bit of just, just good old fashioned being present tomfoolery. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, uh, one of the articles that I had found, they described Marina as so stoic on stage. She almost appeared to be someone that was also witnessing the play. Mm hmm. So she had a, a Maria in the audience. Yeah. Um, a so, decoy. No, well, it was it was like she was almost like, you know, you couldn't really tell if she was participating in the performance of the play or if she was a spectator on stage. She kind of like... Because she is an actual performer, right? Like she's on the stage doing stuff. She's there. It's not just a... Correct. Yes, she is cast in the show. Yeah. Right. Which is a... Pretty, you know, that's cool of her to do. Now, um, we should uh, we should go ahead and say bye bye to Marina, and then we're gonna just hop on uh, back over to Robert Wilson very briefly. But uh, you know, Marina, it's been a pleasure as always. Maria, I mean, last time we caught you, you were j- building the giant uh, crystal wall. It's pretty nuts, pretty crazy. Good for you. But, Glad uh, to know you have a smash hit Broadway show. Let's uh. <laughs> Do you have anything to say back to us, Marina? Bye-bye, extremes. Bye-bye, purity. Bye-bye, togetherness. Bye-bye, intensity. Bye-bye, structure. 
Bye bye Tibetans. Bye bye danger. Bye bye unhappiness. Bye bye tears. And that's the end of the show. Well, the end of the life and death of Marina Abramovic. So, uh, the, I, I can't believe you brought up a musical. It's, I told you about earlier at the beginning of the show when I went out and I had my burger mm-hmm. and I was so disgusted with everything I saw. While I was sitting there and I was watching the Bucks-Hawks game, I was enjoying my burger I thought to myself, I should write a musical, or somebody should write a musical about this thing, about this. It would be the perfect way to troll Broadway-type people, is to write a musical that's very dry and very straightforward about just how fucking stupid all this is, (laughs) and do it in a very clever and fun way. And you can have catchy songs, and everyone can sing and dance about how fucking stupid all this is. And it'll be great. I think it'll be a big hit. I think that I think that there'd be an audience for it. I uh, I have a uh, uh, I already have a suggestion that I'd like to throw into the hat for one of the musical numbers. Okay. I've got a peer-reviewed study right here that says mm, says you're a pussy. <laughs> Is your, uh, was <laughs> Maybe that's a little too on the nose. <laughs> I, one, I like that. I I know for a fact that one of the musical numbers I'm going to write is is it's going to be along the lines of I don't have my mask, but I only need it for the ten foot walk from the door to the bar. Once I'm to the bar, then I can take the mask off again. And then I can eat and do whatever I want. And then when I leave the this place, I need to put my mask back on so that I can walk the 10 feet to the door so that I can go out the door outside so that I can immediately take off the mask again. So I wanted there to be like a number about people's like arms getting tired because they keep having to take off and on their mask for this 10 foot walk that they have to keep taking throughout their day. Yeah, and the like, choreography. Oh, the choreography could literally be walk from walk from one point on the stage, ten feet to the other point, take the mask off, put the mask on, and walk back over, take it off. <laughs> yeah, put it back on, and walk ten feet over again. <laughs> just back and forth, back and forth. I walked in there, I didn't have my mask, and I just ran over to the bar real quick before anyone could yell at me. I was like, "There, I'm here. I'm at the bar. <laughs> I'm, I'm faster than the speed of COVID." <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, that's it. I did. I beat COVID I'm faster than COVID. <laughs> And it wasn't 8 p.m., so it wasn't because you know that COVID's nocturnal. So after 8 p.m., then COVID really starts to get really rampant. So I was like, it's not that. It's happy hour. I can make this. I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, the guy, I know that in San Francisco, they'll throw me out. I don't go to San Francisco. Nobody goes to San Francisco anymore. Mm. Um, uh, The the place was, they were like, uh, vaccine card required. Didn't ask me for it. The guy barely spoke English. This is actual real life. You know, people don't give a fuck. But, you know, that's that's part of the musical, too. Is is like everybody who's working doesn't care. It's really only like white women over the age of 40 that care and their husbands. 
And that's it. And Vosh. <laughs> Sorry. And Vosh? Yeah. Internet, Vosh? internet personality. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Scott Adams. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> um. So, so anyway, we're going to write a musical, just so you know. I like it. Now, uh, Robert Wilson, uh, he, uh, uh, da, 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 he also had another side piece by the name of Lady Gaga. Ooh, a little side piece. Did a couple of things for her. Uh, one of them was, uh, everybody's favorite mass Luciferian circle jerk is the, uh, MTV VMAs of 2013. And if you scroll all the way down to the very, very, very end of the show notes, those, there's a three or uh, sorry, there's five different photos that I took from that music video from the MTV VMAs. And <laughs> Lady Gaga's got this tick where she just continuously does the, uh, the AOK sign and, and flicks it in front of her eye. Just over Doing a lot over. of a lot of uh, yeah, good old occult. Re- oh, and look at all these little letters floating around. Yes, it's because uh, she was performing uh, one of her songs called "Applause," and uh, oh. that was featured in the set design. And uh, I, the reason I threw the image of her at the very end of the show because she's doing all these costume changes, wig changes, adding makeup, etc. Uh, I just, I thought this was a very MK ultra sort of vibe where she finally comes in, in for the final verse of the song and she's wearing, uh, what appear to be seashells and a thong mm-hmm. and a big mm-hmm. sort of like, uh, Barbie doll blonde wig. It's a, I think it's an Aphrodite reference. Oh, maybe. Could be, could be. And then a nice uh, little Greek reference there and then uh of course there was some sort of filter i thought this was unusual that um all of the lights in the very final photograph or snapshots um they have they must have some sort of filter on or something that each light uh refracts in the exact same direction everything is very uniform it creates little stars everywhere and i just thought it was an, a, a a neat scene it's, it's cool Mm-hmm. It's a cool filter. She also worked with uh, Robert Wilson on a series of portraits called "Living in Living Rooms," or sorry, "Living Rooms." Uh, quote: The American artist, choreographer, and director and performer Robert Wilson created a series of video portraits of Lady Gaga, influenced by three classic works belonging to the permanent collection of the Louvre Museum: uh, Mademoiselle Caroline Riviera and the Death of Marat. And the head of St. John the Baptist. Um, the fourth portrait that she did with Wilson uh, did not derive from another classic art piece. Um, instead, it was uh, she's suspended in the air by Japanese rope bondage called Shibari. But the, <laughs> the actual John the Baptist one is it's there's something eerie about it because I guess with it being a video portrait, it would phase in 11 steps back and forth between her face and the photo or the, the uh, portrait of the original, um, the original creation, the original art Mm. Mm. portrait. 
They also say that he's from Waco, W-A-K-O, Texas. W-A-C-O, bro. I know. Waco. I know. That's what I'm saying. And this website is, who in the fuck was this? You said K-O. I, listen, I'm not the Wall Street <laughs> International, okay? You aren't. This is true. I'm just, I, I'm quoting the information as I get it. Very well. But, uh, yeah, the, um, the head, the head of John the Baptist is bizarre. There's just something unnerving about it. Uh, do you know who beheaded John the Baptist? Mm, it was a Roman guy, right? Uh, Herod. He was, uh, I believe it was Herod. Let me, let me double check that. He was, uh. Roman client, king of Judea. Oh, I see. Son of a bitch. And that, that ties in if you, if you, so the beheading of John the Baptist, for some reason, and, and I could definitely spend a lot more time looking into this. You and I both could, but for some reason that has high occult significance and Herod and, and just the act of beheading John the Baptist and John the Baptist being the precursor to Jesus Christ. He is, he, he was almost Jesus Christ. Like he, he, he missed it by one generation, you know? Uh, but Jesus wouldn't exist without him. And it just ties into all of that somehow. I'm not exactly sure how. Yeah, that's a, that's a similar inclination that I had. Uh, although probably not as specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I was thinking more in the, in the route of, um, Catholicism with the artifacts of uh, deceased saints, mm-hmm. the relics. No, there's a specific word. I'm blanking on it. That probably totally ties into it. Yeah, yeah. If you can find that, I'd love to look at that. It's fascinating stuff, but um, yeah. That's and I like more- how the head has a Saturn, a Saturnian ring around it. Oh, yes. Yes, I I was absolutely thinking the same thing. So what is that, like, number four? Number five this episode? We're on a tear. Yeah. Most (laughs) deaf. That is very Satan-y. Very Satan-y. I think that uh, pretty much covers everything that I got. Um, Thanks for hanging out so long on that one for me. I just, it's... uh, it's uh, kind of cool to get behind a musical or a twisted opera, twisted musical. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We're just talking about things that are that are significant, you know. And uh, it's funny you brought up the musical because I swear to God, right before the show, I was out and about and I thought about writing a musical. It's funny <laughs> that you fucking thought of that, man. Hell yeah. It's the only way to reach these people. And if we ever make a successful Broadway show, talk about an exit strategy. Holy crap. Yeah. Rake it in. Yes. <laughs> Hit me yeah. with that first national. <laughs> We're like, hey, how do you want to split this $250 million? Venmo or PayPal? Yeah. I'll take it all in sats, baby. <laughs> sats, baby. <laughs> You figure it out, IRS. Yeah. <laughs> Look Beautiful. at me. Look at me. I'm the one calling the shots now. I'm a Broadway bigwig. That's right. <laughs> one of those big time big shot guys. Oh, now, thanks, Lord. everybody, for joining us tonight for episode 80 of Behind the Schemes. 
It has been a lovely full moon evening with you and Martin Luther King Day. God yeah. bless to Martin Luther King. Uh, yes, double. It's a double header. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, by the way, you have Mo Facts. You got to watch the Martin Luther King episode on or Mo Facts episode on Martin Luther King. It's so it's so great. If you haven't seen it, I know you've seen it. It but, has uh, it has been a while. I could always go back and refresh myself. Not a problem. It's so good. Yeah. Comparing him basically to Greta uh, Thunberg and saying he's basically if Greta Thunberg grew up and realized the sham that she was a part of and decided to destroy it from the inside <laughs> and everybody <laughs> turned on her and then murdered her. <laughs> Greta gets snipes. <laughs> awesome uh but anyway yeah big job bless to everybody out there thanks for listening it was kind of a long one but that's okay we're having a good time yes and uh if you want to have a good time with us next week we do this show live every monday night it's uh 7 30 the bereft coast 9 30 kim trail and 10 30 least coast least coast wah wah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we do it every Monday night. Uh, it's Value Value Podcast, which means that we don't have ads. We don't have sponsors. We don't have any sort of uh, ties to anything because uh, that's really, honestly, the only way that we can talk about the topics that we're allowed to talk about. And if you are in the these uh, sort of string stringed uh, engagements, then you're not going to be able to talk about stuff. You're not going to be able to talk about real stuff. And this is why... Value for value is important, especially right now when all mainstream forms of media and uh, and uh, information acquirement, they're all bought and paid for. Everything is a corporate stooge now, except for what you personally can find and support. So thank you very much, everybody who supported us tonight and every other night. Thank you. Ah, couldn't put it better myself. I think we would write a killer musical. I think we are going to write <laughs> a killer musical. Right. I, I'm going to work on the book immediately. <laughs> right after our tarot deck. See, that's that's why we're going to go far. We're, we're already planting the mental seed. <laughs> we got big plans, people. We're going to have a musical. We're going to have a tarot deck. Merch. <laughs> a moonshine. Plushies. <laughs> I'm gonna probably issue my own brand of beanie, lavish beanies. Oh, uh, don't forget the barbecue <laughs> sauce. Oh, sweet baby, lavish barbecue sauce, and the moonshine behind the shine. Behind the shine, coming to you so hot, uh, give straight it to from me. the still, the spookiest still in, the, in America. Uh, I can already taste it. Me too. And I'm going to keep tasting it every day that ends in Y until next Monday. And I've been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And by golly, I want you to do me one favor. I want you to say goodnight to the bad guy. I'm lavish. This show is behind the...
schemes. Behind the schemes with threes as ease. Claims so baseless we're mistaken as injustice for all. Loveislit.com. Go there, check it out, listen. Warriors, you've run a Important man is a market of that. Send the love to the boobs. Next time on Dragon Ball Z. Uh, huh, that barely left a scratch. <laughs> Behind the schemes, you're calling yourself. Oh, yeah! Oh, God bless all this money! The Lord of this world is behind the schemes! This is Behind the Schemes. The esoterica of your dreams. 